2: listening to highlights from the opinion line on corks 96 fm to hear the full show download the podcast from itunes or c96 fm.ie the opinion line with pj coogan on corks 96 fm
3: Good morning, it's Dee here in for PJ on this Good Friday. I think it's the strangest one any of us will ever be able to remember. The pubs are closed but so is everything else. It's always a special day for me because I grew up in a pub and it was the one day of the year we all got to sit around and watch movies, Ben-Hur and things like that. So if you're planning on watching any Easter movies or anything like that, let us know today. Or is it just going to be the same as every other day uh, now that we are in the middle of this pandemic? Do let us know. 1850-715-996 for your calls today or you can tell text text us on 0833 We are also looking for your tributes today to the frontline worker in your life as we run our frontline legends campaign all day today. We've joined forces with the Mercy Hospital Foundation and CUH Charity to ask you to donate just €19 for medical teams going above and beyond to save lives. Click 96fm.ie today and make a one-off donation of €19 or call 1850 50 96 96. All the money raised will support services for medical staff including an internal wellness centre and external wellness space so staff have somewhere to relax mental health supports and genius thermometers which give staff a temperature reading in just seconds. Support Cork's Flir- Frontline Legends this Good Friday on Cork's 96FM with Noel DC Scoda, New Mallor Road Cork. Proud to get behind those steering us through the COVID-19 crisis noeldc.com and please just remember don't go calling to the hospitals with your donations or anything like that um, you're not allowed beyond 2 kilometres of your home and you're certainly not allowed in or near hospitals at the moment Um like Likewise, for the 96FM or C103 office, we are not accepting cash donations, but you can make the donation by phone or online. Now, today we're going to... Oh, wow, we've already got some donations. Jamie Toomey and Dunn, Selina Walsh, all have donated this hour already. That's absolutely incredible. We will have news of all of your donations going on throughout the day, so please do stay tuned for that. And if you donate, stay tuned to hear your name mentioned on air. Now, a frontliner to start the show today. Good morning, Rob. How are you getting on, Rob Hughes? Your former Cove Ramblers Academy player, and you graduated early as a doctor this week. Just, yeah, um,
4: a mad start, um, just a mad beginning to the whole year, and um, we graduated about eight weeks early. Um, our exams were brought forward by that much, and so it was a big, big surprise. But we're all excited today to get going, working in the hospitals and and helping out in this pandemic.
3: Oh my gosh, what a time to be graduating, like when you applied for medicine back then in 60 or whatever, I'm sure you couldn't have anticipated something like this coming down the tracks.
4: No, not at all, and um, so basically we were, we when we heard about coronavirus, we didn't know that it would affect us like this at all, like we were all kind of like when we heard it was in Italy, and then next thing you know there's a case in Ireland, and we didn't know what would happen with our exams, and then... We found out um, on a Friday that all our exams being brought forward to the following Tuesday uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. Oh my god. Um so that was a big shock. And um, but look, in the end it was it was the right decision and um, and we're all gonna be ready and and ready to go on the front line in about uh, by mid May.
3: By mid May. So what's happening at the moment? Are you doing training at the moment or are you kinda of getting your stuff together?
4: Um so at the moment um I was in NUIG, so we've got our results and UCC got their results yesterday. Um, so big congratulations to them. Um, and then we're waiting on the other colleges um, to get their results and then we'll all be allocated a position and a place within the hospitals that we want to go to. Um, and then that will be done at the end of April and then we'll be starting mid-May and a bit of training before that as well online because we can't go into the hospitals.
3: Wow. You're very young to be facing into a crisis like this.
4: Um, I know, but I feel like over the last five years we've been, we've been through ups and downs and I think that will stand, stand to us in, um, when we go into this and the experience that we've had uh, through the tough times and the good times and I'm sure that we'll have great support when we go into the hospitals which is why they want us in as soon as possible mm. um, just so that they will ha- we'll have the teaching available to us and we won't be going completely in there on our own.
3: Yeah, and was there a particular area of medicine you were interested in pursuing or had you decided on that yet?
4: So at the moment it's a general uh, medicine degree and then after all this you specialise, so there's medicine or surgery or the specialities like GP or psychiatry and I'd say I'm, I'm more interested in hospital medicine so um, ideally gastroenterology or cardiology is where my interest lies.
3: Okay, so this will be very, I suppose, from a, per, from a purely academic and an experience point of view, it will be very interesting for you, um, in terms of what you've, what you're, the training you've done to date, and now what you're going to be seeing.
4: Exactly, and so I, we've been we've been in hospitals for the last three years. I've been over in France in the hospitals, and so all that will stand to all of us and when we head in, and. So I know I know all the classmates that I have are, were eager to get going because we've kind of been sitting at home waiting mm. to go and I know there's a lot to organise so I'm not blaming anyone on that. So we just want to help out any way that's possible um, and we've seen a lot um, in our training so we're ready to go.
3: Okay and how do your family feel about it?
4: Um, they're quite, my mum, my mum will be more kind of anxious about me going in and My dad's kind of excited for me and he he wants me to get not out of the house, but he he sees how (laughs) I I want to get going. Yeah. Um, And then, but they're they're fully supportive. Like they've seen how much this means to me uh, since I started medicine. So, and it's exactly what we signed up to do. Like we signed up to help people and people in need. So, why not get thrown into the deep end and see what we can do?
3: Is there any sense of fear facing into it?
4: Um, a small bit, like you've seen, how it, it holds no boundaries. Really, like it doesn't matter who you are, like with Boris Johnson or whoever. So, of course, there's some trepidation and anxiety, and um, but I'd say, and we we do appreciate that they're challenging times, and um, but um I I can't wait. I love the uh, as uh, to come back to soccer So like we had this, it's such a sense of camaraderie and we're all togetherness and all of this. So. Like If we stick together, then hopefully we'll all be able to get through it and we'll look back and say that it's good to us in the long term.
3: Mm-hmm. I hope so. On a totally separate note, Rob, you were a player with the Cove Ramblers Academy and all the sport, courses off at the moment. Um, I was just thinking this morning, and anyone who listens to the show regularly when I'm on will be shocked to hear me saying this, but it must be awful for all the sports fans who aren't interested in reading or who don't follow TV dramas or anything like that at the moment. Is there any case for bringing some of the sports back behind closed doors, do you think?
4: I wouldn't be. I wouldn't think it's. I would wait until the medical professionals and the people at the top decide that it is safe to do so. I know that people are kind of getting bored and they want to watch all the sports that they can, but mm. I suppose lives, lives and people's safety comes first. And yeah. um, I think we'd all love a bit of sport, and it's just when the right time, when it's the right time
3: yeah yeah I it just it must it must be a very tough time maybe they could start showing old matches or something so all the classics from Italian 90 or something like that
4: it's not the same
3: though is it no it, of course it isn't and like I'm not even a sports fan but I was thinking about it today I was like god if you don't read or you don't listen to podcasts or you, you know you're not a kind exactly. of a multimedia person it must be very difficult yeah Um, Rob best of luck and uh, we no doubt we'll be talking to you again maybe when you get started you might come back on and tell us what it's like um, and uh, best of luck to you and do you know who I'm thinking about Rob is your mom I I hope she's okay with all of this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, very much, Thanks very Thanks much, Rob
4: Hughes. Thanks very
3: that. much. Dr. Rob Hughes, should I say? Thank you. Um, it's uh, amazing, really, all these young people coming out of college, graduating. And, you know, when your child applies to be a nurse or a doctor, or indeed ends up working um, in a hospital in any capacity in, in admin or cleaning or portering or anything like that um, you never expect them to have to encounter something like this do you? It just must be so difficult thinking of all the, the relatives and family members of, of the people we're, we're supporting here today as well it just must be very very difficult. Thanks a million to Mary Coleman, Liz Duggan and Anita Lockrell who have donated already don't forget 96fm.e or 1850 50 96 96 96 Now we've a, lo- a lovely offer coming up for um, frontline workers as well with Keeley. I'll just talk to you about that in a moment. Sanitise Ireland are offering something very nice for frontline workers um, so stay tuned for that and if you do want to donate, 96fm.ie or 1850 50 96, 96, 96
2: The Opinion Line on Course 96 FM With the Solid
5: Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross Call and collect or get 7 day delivery for those cosy nights in SolidFuelDepot.ie
2: this is Court's Gold Imro award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
5: Text or WhatsApp now 083 396
2: on Court's 96 FM.
3: And before I go to Keely, I just want to mention of course, I meant to start the show with this but huge blow to a number of staff in Debenhams yesterday who were told just after our show finished last night uh, by email, uh, yesterday by email that the company is to go into liquidation in Ireland huge blow to workers and a huge blow for the city both Patrick Street and Mahan Point are now going to have gaping holes to fill and I think finding a replacement for Debenhams is going to be very difficult. to stores on that site survived the burning of Cork and it's sad to think now that its successor hasn't survived Covid. If you worked in Debenhams and you'd like to speak to us today, please do give me a call on 1850 715 996. I know it was something of a shock. People weren't very happy that they were informed by email. Uh, we got the text of the email, which I will read out in a little while. But a lot of shock among workers. And I believe the um, the thinking among workers is that hopefully the premises will, will continue in some shape or form as a department store and that maybe another company will come in to operate it. I don't know how likely people think that is given the situation of retail and I suppose given the uncertain economic outlook um, during this pandemic but I'd love to know your thoughts on it I'd particularly love to hear from you if you worked in Debenhams up to, up to yesterday or if you had been working there recently um, I know there was a great community of workers there and particularly going back to the Rochelle Stores days a lot of people there who would have have been there a long, long time. Um, so really thinking of you today because things are bad enough without this as well. Um, just to let you know, people are having some difficulties, I think donating on the website at 96fm.ie so you can make your donations on the phone 1850 50 96 96 96 to support our frontline legends. Now I want to go to Keely. Keely Online 2 is at Sanitise Ireland. Hi Keely.
6: Hi Deirdre, how are you?
3: I'm not too bad at all. Tell me, what are you offering for the frontline workers today?
6: So today, really, um, we just want to show our appreciation um, alongside you for all of Cork's frontline heroes. And um, as you might know, a vehicle is something that's going to breed a lot of bacteria, kind of any any pathogens are going to breed very well in a car. And um, so far, um, out of the coronavirus numbers in Ireland, a quarter of them have actually been by healthcare staff. Mm. Um, So we just wanted, you know, to give them a little something. I know it's not much, you know, but we just want to clean and sanitise the inside of their vehicle. So when they know, you know, that they're driving around for the next 72 hours, they've got a biofilm on their car. And hopefully that'll stay active um, and just give them a little bit of protection, like their families might be getting into the car or, you know, just something, Mm-hmm. And it's something that we might be able to kind of offer back to the community, you know.
3: Yeah, okay, that's absolutely fantastic, Keely. So, how do they, wh- where are you located? I suppose is the first question.
6: So, we're located on the grounds of our sister company, um, Top Tile in Toker, that's on the Powlett Road. And um, we've got a big enough area there. So, um, obviously, all the frontline staff are more than welcome to come down in their frontline vehicle or in their own personal vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd be more than happy um, to do as many vehicles as we can between 11 and 2 today.
3: Brilliant. And that service is normally €50?
6: And that service is normally €50, euro, and that would be for a small vehicle. Um, so we actually are using um, an antimicrobial at the moment. That um, They're only using the company that where we got it off, are only giving it now to frontline staff, really. So we were lucky enough to get it before now, but at mm-hmm. the moment it's mostly going to the NHS Um to the guards um, in the UK but we we have managed to get enough um to do, to do an awful lot in the next few months and we're hoping just to get as much done as we possibly
3: can. Brilliant. Keely Hegarty from Sanitise Ireland. Thanks a million for that. That's a lovely offer. So if you're a frontline worker, between 11 and 2 today you can do, go down to Sanitise Ireland in Toker and they will sanitise the interior of your car for free. Really, really nice offer from them. If you are interested in supporting our frontline legends campaign, you can call 1850 50 96 96 96 Our partners in this shock voice are taking your calls and taking your donations and it's just a 19 euro donation. So as you know this year of course Radiothon can't go ahead because of the restrictions so this is something we're doing just uh, I suppose just to let the staff know that we are thinking of them and to support them and to make sure that um, all of Cork is really behind them. We've seen so many restaurants and so many takeaways in particular really going out of their way to assist the frontline workers so it's time we did our bit as well and we're always delighted to be doing it because um, they, they look after us. We have a text from a lady who's a frontline worker in the NHS she's from Cork. She says I'd like to remain anonymous but I'm a nurse working in London in a busy A&E department what you're doing is great to raise money for those on the front line but in these testing times I think the vulnerable homeless are being forgotten about it's amazing the support we're finally receiving for all of our hard work but I think homeless shelters and vulnerable families would find the food donations and money being raised more beneficial, healthcare workers will eat but many homeless might not, thanks again for the support and don't worry you can rest assured that lady, we spoke to Katrina Toomey yesterday from Cork Penny Dinners and they are flat to the mat giving out hampers they are giving out hot meals four course hot meal as they always do but they're doing it as a takeaway. They are um, working with St. Vincent's up on the north side with different clubs that have offered to do food drives for them. And we know, of course, that St. Vincent de Paul are looking after people with their usual hampers as well. Um, And, of course, people who don't normally go to St. Vincent de Paul or to penny dinners are welcome to contact them and avail of their services at the moment because we understand that a lot of people are under pressure that they, um, I suppose, usually aren't... um, um, now, Niamh is on the line. She's from Care United. Her little boy, Griffin, and a couple of his friends at school started doing something to get connected with isolated members of their community who may be elderly during the pandemic and beyond. Hi, Niamh.
7: Hi, how are you? neve how old is Griffin? Uh, Griffin is 10. He's 10? Yeah, they're 10. They're in fourth class. And where uh, they, did this idea come from? So this was their school project um, a good few months ago, actually. So before all of this took off they decided that it was really hard for them to get to visit the um, elderly people in their family and that it would be a way for the schools to sign up so that if people were interested in chess or rugby then the various schools go and visit elderly people in the community through this platform Care United so it's a school project, they put loads of time into it and got very passionate about it and then I suppose the things just the last few weeks just started getting more and more mundane, Um, he was just chatting and they decided that they might try and do something within their community using the platform. That they had already built so then we just changed a little bit of it around to um, allow people to connect with us if they need deliveries of groceries or if they need somebody to, to drop by to help somebody because it's just so hard for people right now and so I think we're just all getting kind of just tired of the situation so if anybody if they can do anything to help with the platform that they have then they just want you to open it up.
3: Oh my gosh and the they're community. 10 that is such a lovely thing for four 10 year olds to come up with isn't it?
7: Yeah, they're just missing like going training and all the, the stuff. So at least I suppose for them when they're older, just, like, they've done something to try and help out in their communities. Um, but this was their plan before this to try and get other schools to register and stuff. So their fourth class Miss Henshin in uh, Springhaven, Um So she commended them. They got really excited about it, going out to the the area and asking other classes would they sign up for it and stuff like that when it went live. So um, yeah, it's a it's a lovely little project
3: brilliant we well, fair play to them so i'm just looking at their website here so it's care care utd.com
7: yeah united
3: yeah brilliant and whereabouts so they're going to school in bishopstown so Bishop's it's
7: Town, yeah. so you're so in that is, area yeah so the lads are between ball and Colleague, wilson bishopstown um so that whole area like you know it's been sent out in the different groups uh, the clubs that they play with and stuff but just in that area where we would have volunteers to get out to people if anybody wants to get in touch if they need some help that we're ha- more than happy to help
3: brilliant and um have you had many people register
7: and um, We have, yeah. We only went live now two days, but we have registrations already, so we're catching up with people to see what we can do.
3: God, that's fantastic. Us. God, Neve, you must be very proud, Mammy.
7: Yeah, we are, we are. They're a great bunch of lads. They're just missing each other so much now. They just can't wait to get back to causing trouble and getting in trouble, <laughs> getting in trouble in <laughs> training and messing. And yeah. um, it's really hard
3: for them, you know. But, it is. You know, we'll get there. We're all in it together now, so. That's it. Exactly. That's keep it. Keep going. Yeah, Neve, tell them we said well done and congratulations. That's absolutely, absolutely. phenomenal. And uh, we'll talk you. to you again soon. Best of luck with great. us. Great. take care. Absolutely Bye. G- brilliant idea. Fair play to them. Imagine four ten-year-olds coming up with that idea. For I've had to look at it there. The website is careutd. C A R E utd.com and if you are in Wilton, Bishopstown, Balancholic, I think they have volunteers. You can make a request for support. It could be groceries, medications or just someone to talk to during the lockdown and they'll connect you with volunteers and institutions. Um, so there are a lot of different people doing this and you can contact um Of course, you can contact City Hall or County Hall um, if you are vulnerable and need volunteers to assist you with things. But these guys, these little kids built this themselves, and I just think that's a fabulous idea. Well done to them. A couple of people are calling us, trying to donate. You can't donate by ringing the usual 96FM number. You need to call 1850 50 96 96 96. That's the number for our partners at Shock Voice who will take your call and register your donation. Fergal and Katie don't have the facility to do that here, and uh, they, um, they, although they love all your credit card numbers, But no, so you need to ring 1850 96 9696 if you'd like to donate to our Frontline Legends campaign. Getting loads and loads of donations in from people. So thank you so much for your generosity to all of you. Um, Lorraine is a healthcare worker in need of some help. She is a community healthcare worker who I think a lot of them are feeling a little bit overlooked at the time um, at at the moment, because um, we have been hearing how some of them don't have adequate PPE and things they are, do have some concerns. But Lorraine has told us her car has broken down and she can't get a mechanic. Are there any mechanics? She lives in Ballyfeehan, works in Blackrock, Rock, um, and she will move the car if she has to or to try and get somebody to move it. But ideally, if there's a mechanic that could call out to her. Um, so she's in Ballyfeehan and I think that's where the car is too if you ring us and give us your details, we'll get in touch with her. I'm pretty sure mechanics are essential services for this kind of thing, so there's definitely a few operating around the city, so if you're a mechanic and you're willing to go and help out an essential healthcare worker, um, please give us a call, 1850 um, 1850 I've forgotten the number (laughs) I'm trying to read out the 1850 50 96 96 96 number so much that I've forgotten our normal number um, you can text us or WhatsApp us on 0833 96, 96 96 if you are a mechanic and you are willing to go and help Lorraine. Now if you are cocooning and you're somebody who is normally very active and out there you'll have heard Angela on the show earlier in the week. Angela's down um, near Middleton and she's cocooning and finding it pretty difficult. She's a very outgoing lively kind of a person. She's not long back from Australia. She normally has a lot of activities and hobbies that keep her busy out of the house and now she's stuck in a second floor apartment and can't, literally can't leave the building because she's no garden so um she was finding it difficult but she was telling us all about the coping mechanisms she's developed, things like um getting her 2km walk from around the house um and that kind of thing. Thanks Fergal the opinion line number as always is 185715996 I can't believe I forgot that and the donation line is 96. so two separate phone lines to today. Um, But if you are cocooning and if you're finding it challenging and if you're possibly breaking the cocooning because you don't see the point of it or you're bored or you're lonely um, please listen in to our next guest Uh, Professor Ema Shelley is Dean of the Faculty of Public Health Medicine at the Royal College of Physicians of Ireland. She's been writing about cocooning for the Irish Times Um, so please do stay listen to to Professor Shelley because it's we know it's challenging and like I'm speaking from a position of extreme privilege where I'm still able to come to work every day Uh, but it is really so difficult and so necessary and so important that we all continue to make the effort. so I'll talk to Professor Shelley in just a moment.
2: The Opinion Line on Courts 96 FM. With the
5: Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Focus coal, turf, gas and kiln dried wood. Open late seven days.
3: SolidFuelDepot.ie Now next up on the so Professor Emer Shelley is the Dean of the Faculty of Public Health Medicine at the Royal College of Physicians of Ireland. That's a bit of a mouthful, but Emer, you're, you're the expert on why we are doing these measures at the, at the moment.
8: Well, um, thanks, Dee. Um, yes, there, in my normal existence, I'm encouraging people to get out, and this is, goes back a long, long time. I was involved in a project in Kilkenny which was looking to prevent heart disease. Was involved in planning services for stroke and um, before I retired um, planning services for older people and in that context the mantra was even for those who are quite old and frail get up, get dressed, get moving Mm. so there's lots of evidence that getting out there and being active is really good for your physical health but also for your mental health and indeed I've been known to say that even if you only go as far as the front of your house you'll meet people socialising and you're not in the kitchen drinking tea and eating biscuits or whatever so it's absolutely the opposite Uh, when I'm really encouraging older people to to stay indoors and to cocoon, and particularly for those who are usually really independent Mm. and don't like to ask for help, just for a few more weeks to reach out and ask for that help, which is available.
3: This is the thing, I suppose. People who are that bit older have spent the last 10 or 20 years of their lives trying to be independent trying to keep moving trying to do all the things that are normally the good advice and i know like we talk about mental health an awful lot on this show and a couple of older people have contacted us i I won't lie they have contacted us and said i'm still going to the shop i need that for my sanity at this point in time i suppose are we making a trade-off currently between physical health and mental
9: health a little bit
8: I think we're making so many trade offs uh, we're making trade offs um on the public health versus the economy and society um, so it's and we're making trade offs between um so younger people are making trade offs too because they um would normally be going out to work and Um, looking forward then to weekends to socialise and so on and all of that has been cut short but also um, they've suffered, um, if you like the double whammy of the economic breakdown of 2008 Mm. and now they have to face into this and housing difficulties that many of our older generations didn't have to face. So there are so many trade-offs and in many ways, and I'm no expert in mental health but I suppose we all have to think about what good can I see in all of this. So um in my line of business I look at numbers and when I look at the numbers I see things that are definitely of concern but I also see um information that gives me hope. So like that most even though um the rate of going into hospital is an old is higher in those 65 and older um, one only one in ten of those goes into the ICU and even then um, there are good outcomes. So while the headlines of the media are on, not surprisingly on the number of cases and on the, the number of deaths there are also many good stories but the reality is that most of what we call the morbidity, most of the sickness and most of the hospitalisations in terms of rates occur for the 65 and older, and that's particularly the case for those 70 and older who are most, most at risk.
3: Yeah, I mean, the figures are pretty stark that we have seen. For somebody listening to us saying, well, I'm not doing any harm, I'm only going mm-hmm. up the road for a walk, I don't meet, I might meet Mary from across the road, and she, but she's across the road, and I'm not going anywhere near anybody. Why can they not do that?
8: I suppose the concern is that, um, particularly shopping, people... Um, two-thirds of the cases now are what are called community transition. so transmission it's not known where they've come from so shopping is one place where people mingle. And even with the two-meter distancing, that's not always possible within shops. I mean, I, jo- I joked with somebody there last week that it was like playing hide-and-seek because it was a fairly small <laughs> local shop yeah. and, you know, trying to avoid the, the gentleman. Um, and then he went the opposite direction. So, you know, it's, um, it's not easy keep the two meters. And also, there are viruses... Um, There are droplets in the air or droplets that land on the products and so on. There's only so much we can do to avoid that. But one way of minimising the risks is to stay at home. And I suppose the biggest issue is that we can't say who's at risk of having the most serious outcome? Mm. So you take Boris Johnson and Matt Hancock, who probably got it from the same source. Matt Hancock was back as Secretary of Health in uh, London uh, within days um, or presumably after a proper period of isolation, which is shorter in the UK than it is here. Uh, But Boris Johnson ended up after 10 days in ICU Mm. and spent or in hospital and then spent some nights in ICU. Now there was no way of predicting that one gentleman would come out fairly unscathed and another would become seriously ill and neither of those are particularly old
3: Yeah, yeah, so that I suppose that is a sobering thought really for a lot of people. There is no um, way of knowing exactly who's going to suffer worse but we know the likelihood is that older people will. Mm
10: -hmm.
3: Like I suppose in terms then of family members, we've been hearing from a couple of callers whose family members want to come and visit them and who are having trouble putting them off like what would you say to them?
8: Oh I think you know there is a very clear there are times in life when you I'm very very bad at saying no so you know I say to myself now I have to practice looking at the bathroom mirror and saying no I'm terribly sorry I can't do that (laughs) (laughs) but in reality I rarely do Um, but there are times when you just have to be firm and there are so many ways of keeping in touch and that's really good for mental health and people are saying that that's one thing that has kicked in with uh, these restrictions that family members who don't normally get to chat for half an hour on Mm. the phone um, are actually doing that or if they have the opportunity to email or Skype or FaceTime or whatever way people can use and um, but definitely not be visited by family members it's really not caring for the family member That's absolutely no problem where somebody is short of something um, to drop it off at the front door um, so because families are the main source of the groceries even though the County Council and the City Council are available to do mm. that and like Likewise, um, the Gardaí and on post will arrange prescription delivery and so on. Uh, but uh, family are the main source. But the real way you show love at this time, and it's the Taoiseach who said it, um, you know, stay together by staying apart. And that's how you really show love and respect for your family members at this time.
3: Okay, so it might be Easter, but please just stay at home and, and don't try and recreate the, the usual Easter celebrations.
8: Absolutely, yeah, most definitely not, because that the real difficulty is, and the same applies to anybody going to holiday homes, and I know that that may be a concern within Cork, that mm-hmm. you may be receiving people uh, into holiday homes who've come from other places I was fascinated by um, results on a website called nextstrain.org, which uh, was set up after HIV um, hit the globe. And it showed really not that long into the epidemic they could track the virus because... As the virus moves from person to person and place to place, it develops tiny little changes and they can detect those changes. And for example, they worked out that there was a link between the virus in Cork and the virus type in Boston. Now, they couldn't say that it came from Boston to Cork or from Cork to Boston, but they just knew that that virus was related. And in the same way, if people move from one place to another. They may be asymptomatic because we know that some people get really mild illness. It may feel like sniffles. They may not even realise they've had it but they could be bringing it from place to place.
3: Okay, so stay at home and that is the safest way for everybody. It looks, Professor Shelley, like these measures are going to be in place for at least another two weeks.
8: It's hard to get away from that, to be honest. Um, And I think the... As they were ramping up these restrictions, because if you remember, they started out by closing the schools and then there were, there were new layers of it. Um, it's likely that they will do that in reverse. But the logic they always used was that it would be based on the evidence and proportionate to where we were at and I think the very same careful consideration will be given to uh, unwinding these restrictions. What's also interesting in this country is that they have modelled and taken into account the economic impacts, the social impacts, the impacts on mental health. So they include in a separate model to just looking at the cases and uh, hospitalizations and so on and in that model they consider things like domestic violence and alcohol misuse. So yeah. they really are pulling in all of the information I suppose, and I'm totally biased in what I'm going to say now it's the benefits of having public health at the helm of this because Mm. they understand the wider context of all of this, and if I just might give a shout out to public health colleagues in Cork, um, the HSE department in Cork is led by Dr. Augustine Pereira. Mm-hmm. They cover they call it HSE South because they cover Cork and Kerry, and they have been reporting on all of the cases in Cork. So um, so far in Cork city. Um, are in Cork City and County you've had nearly 500 cases um, uh, and about 1 in 10 of all cases are in combined counties of Cork and Kerry Mm -hmm. so they've a substantial workload for a very small department and they've been working really hard I know supported by other colleagues and volunteers and so on but they've been very stretched since the beginning of this, so I'd like to to say well done to them. And if anybody listening knows them, because I'm sure they're at work, and um, to uh, pass on good wishes.
3: Absolutely, thanks, Professor E. Shelley from the um, National College of Physicians in Ireland. Thank you very much for that. It's um, it's a very difficult time for people, and if you are if you are cocooning, please keep it up you know, don't don't waste the good work you've done up to now by kind of going mad over the weekend or, you know, going mad and going to the shop for the paper. I know it's a tiny, tiny way to go mad. What I didn't realise was that the modelling includes the things like domestic violence and the economic impact. That's really interesting I hadn't realised that um, but obviously that's a really good thing and it's nice to know they're taking all those things into account. That's really fascinating though. You'd love to see the figures. I don't know if I'd be able to understand any of the graphs but I'd like to see them nonetheless. Uh, Texter says, AA Ireland are offering free breakdown assistance for healthcare workers on 617 9059. So we'll advise Lorraine um, of that. Uh, Texter Siobhan says my mental health isn't the best just because we can't see our grandson. I'm doing what we're told. I don't leave the house. Just go out my back hanging washing. Thank you to every person out there who is working hard for all of us. Fair play to Siobhan. That's exactly what's needed. and yeah I'd say the washing lines have never been so busy. I was tweeting with somebody last week who had literally washed everything in the house they'd washed all the curtains, they'd washed all the any any linen that was hanging around in the hot press, they'd washed everything um, but I think once you've done that, once you've kind of done it um, for the time being anyway, I mean your curtains wouldn't bear a weekly washing with it. Uh, the donation line for the Frontline Legends campaign of course is 1850 50 96 96 and you can donate to that throughout the show today and throughout the day in fact our colleagues over in Shock Voice are working hard to take your calls and process your donations so thank you everybody who has been trying to get through to that now back to Debenhams in just a moment if you're a Debenham staff member we'd love to hear from you 1850 715 996 or 0833 96 96 96 and next up I'll be speaking to Lorraine O'Brien from Mandate which represents those workers
2: The Opinion Line on Course 96 FM
5: with the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station Turner's Cross open 7 days for smokeless coal turf, kill dried wood Fuel Depot.ie.
2: This is Court's Gold Imro award winning talk show. The opinion line with PJ Coogan.
5: Text or WhatsApp now. 083
2: three three ninety six 96 96 on quartz 96 FM. Now,
3: the closure of Debenhams um yesterday, the announcement that the company is in Ireland is going into liquidation, we must stress that's in Ireland. I think the situation in the UK is different. Um, will have come as a shock maybe to some customers, but I think a lot of people were maybe expecting this to happen. Lorraine O'Brien, you're from Mandate the Union, you represent a lot of these workers. How are our feelings among the workers today, Lorraine? Oh, I suppose yesterday, Tricia was
11: a you know, a very, very grim day for retail workers. Um and particularly those in devhams I mean, they're absolutely devastated. They were, you know, shocked. The announcement yesterday came out of the blue. Um, and, you know, while they were aware that I suppose in 2016, the company went into examinership, but that was mostly and mainly linked to um, rent, um, the rent charges that the company were paying across mm. their, their stores. Um, they came out of that fairly positively. Uh, people were sort of, I suppose, looking to the future and, you know,
3: yesterday
10: was a total shock
3: Yeah, in terms of the, I suppose the speculations around another company coming in to rescue them etc, there's been a lot of that we've been speaking to a couple of workers this morning who are saying they don't want to speak on air for fear um, the company will be rescued in, in some shape or form how realistic do you think that is?
11: Uh, I don't know, um, That's to be perfectly honest, I really don't know. Um, I suppose it's, it's, you know, when you think of the size of the store in Patrick Street, it's an iconic building right in the city centre. Um, I don't know what 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 company would be wonderful to think that somebody would come in, but I think that's just a lot of speculation at the moment. Mm. I, I, nothing more than that, I don't
3: think. And where are the workers left in terms of um, redundancy? Is it looking likely that the company will be able to pay them redundancy?
11: Well, I, it's hard to say at the moment, but I suppose if you just look at, at at the fact that we do know, I mean, the company don't own any of the buildings, they rent them all, so that, that's not equity that they have. Um, I'm not too sure, I don't think any of us know at this stage whether or to what extent um, they own the stock. Uh, that are in the stores that are empty, that are that are closed at the moment. So, that'll be down to the liquidator. Um, I mean, from our perspective, of course, we'll be staying very close to the members. We'll be continuing to represent their interests, trying to ensure that the liquidator prioritises them. Um, and, of course, we'll be working to try and ensure that they get an enhanced redundancy package. But ultimately, um, if that doesn't happen, then, you know, it'll, it'll f- fall to the state, to the statutory redundancy.
3: Okay. And how many workers are we talking about, Lorraine?
11: Um, nationwide I suppose between direct employees uh, Debenhams employs about 1,400 but then that would come up to about 2,000 because I suppose sometimes what we forget as well is there are a lot of concession workers in the Debenhams mm. stores you know they have different and separate employers but they're equally impacted in this, they lost their jobs as well yesterday
3: Yeah and I gather um, they weren't officially informed at all They weren't
11: um, I suppose from a legal perspective Debenhams are only obliged to inform their own employees and I think there was huge confusion yesterday among the concession workers because the message wasn't getting through to their employers and then it was late getting to them. So they got the new second hand. It was very difficult for them. In Cork itself, I suppose, where the um, where the hardest hit outside of Dublin because mm. they were, we're the only location in the country that has two stores in the city. Yeah. So, you know, about 400 workers have lost their jobs yesterday across the two stores, two Dublin stores in Cork.
3: It's a huge blow, really. And Lorraine, in terms then of the other retail workers that you represent, I mean, you must be flat out at the moment trying to assist people. Have there an, have an awful lot of people been, um, well obviously we know an awful lot of retail workers have been laid off kind of in general, but are there any more suggestions of other places where companies have closed and might not reopen? Uh,
11: no, no, thankfully there hasn't been, so I think um, you know, all of those companies were, were still remaining close to them and their intentions are very much um, looking to the future and just, I suppose, doing what they have to do at the moment uh, to comply with, you know, the regulations and the guidelines to protect their employees and the general public and to protect their business. But they're all looking towards the future and their intentions absolutely. um what they're from, you know, the information that we have is they all intend to
3: open. Great, but well that's some encouragement to the yeah. others anyway. And I suppose in terms of those laid off Debenhams workers, um, would they would a lot of those people be older workers who had been there for a long time?
11: Well, um not the store in Mahan opened in two thousand and five. So mm. some people down there would be down there since then, but you know, from the Patrick C perspective, there were some people, and I know some from personally because I started off my working life in retail, and I started in Roche stores yeah. in, in those good old days. So some of the people that I worked with back then, they're still there. So yeah. people that they're up to forty and over forty years service, and you know, it's really sad because they never thought. Who thinks that they'll finish their working life with sort of, you know, you know. The type of announcement that happened yesterday was is really shocking. You know, it's very difficult for people. So,
3: yeah. and particularly um, in this scenario, I mean, it's one thing to be major redundant in, in normal circumstances, or for a company to close. But I think I think nobody could have ever predicted being major redundant in the middle of this. Um, yeah. Lorraine, thanks a million for taking the call, and best of luck working with those workers to, to see what um, can be done for them. Um, if you are one of them, one of the people affected, do let us know. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Now the donation line again for our frontline legends campaign is eighteen fifty. 50, 96. 96. I think I might have given out three ninety sixes earlier, so apologies if anyone was trying to ring a number with three ninety sixes in it. Um, in relation to cocooning, I am concerned, says this texture, that an awful lot of people over 70 are still going for walks every day. I see it every day. It's very distressing as they're putting themselves and the rest of us at risk. They have their families bringing their groceries but are still walking. Maybe you could give a gentle reminder to our over 70s. Thank you. Um, yeah, and look, it's very difficult for people. Like, I understand if you're over 70, that doesn't mean you're some kind of a like some kind of a robot or some you know that you've lost your faculties like it, you know particularly if you're independent and youthful and you're used to getting out and about, it's very very difficult but you know it's, it's for your own good, it's it's kind of a condescending enough thing to say to people but obviously people do need reminders and you know this will pass and we will come out the other end of it. Now after the news I'm going to be talking to some local businesses that are helping, helping each other out and we're also going to be hearing about a major advertising campaign for charities, stay tuned for that.
2: Listening to highlights from The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or c 96FM.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM.
3: And if you're just tuning in, it's not PJ Coogan. It's D here in for PJ, as he always takes his Good Friday off. And this year is no exception, despite the changed circumstances in which we find ourselves. Now, we were talking about cocooning before the news and with Professor Emer Shelley. And a texter had said they were concerned that an awful lot of people over 70 are still going for walks every day. Then we get a call from Peter, who I think might still be on the phone to someone outside. No, he's gone. My mental health is worrying at the moment as I live in Blackrock. I am elderly. There is a lovely walkway by Blackrock Castle, which is in my two kilometre zone. All the gym bunnies are running at speed against me with nowhere to move as well as cyclists. It's dangerous. I need that walk for my mental health. They should have a bit more care or even some days a week where the bikes and runners aren't allowed. I also know these people are travelling well beyond the two kilometres to do this. Peter, I've a bit of news for you. If you're over 70, the two kilometre zone does not apply to you. You're not allowed out. This is what we're talking about. This is exactly the issue that the previous texter was highlighting. If you are over 70... You, the 2 kilometer zone doesn't apply to you, you're not supposed to leave your home so if you have a garden get out into the garden but you're not supposed to leave your home and I know the mental health impact of that is really difficult for people, that's exactly what we were discussing with Professor Shelley and that's exactly why she was on to point out that older people that we know this is really difficult and we know it's compromising probably a lot of people's mental health, people are lonely and people are isolated but you need to use technology or use your phone to talk to other people. If you need to get out, get out into your garden and do laps of the garden, like Angela we were talking to the other days, doing laps of her apartment, you're not supposed to be out on the walkway. Um, I read a kind of a frightening study, actually, of um, which modelled the, let me see if I can get the terminology right on this, but they modelled the, the breath out of um, the all the um, vapours from somebody, running or from somebody Okay, Peter's rang back to say he's under 70. The notes on your call say you're elderly Peter, so if you're under 70, you're not elderly If you want to ring in and explain to me what age you are, please work away But it says you're elderly, so I, whoever took your call thinks you're elderly. Katie, what age is elderly? <laughs> I've had this issue before with younger people defining anyone over 50 as elderly Katie, what age is he? <laughs> she's on another call there peter right so if you're under 70 you're okay but okay so to address your other concern about the runners and the cyclists um he said he is elderly peter so if you're under 70 you're not elderly are you i don't know i don't want to have a fight with peter he's not on air to defend himself but peter if you want to go on air please do uh ring in anyway back to the other point about the vapor clouds coming from runners and cyclists um there's some modelling done about the level of droplets that people breathe out when they are walking and basically if someone is running or cycling they're breathing a lot more heavily usually than somebody who is, particularly if they're running um, running or cycling really fast and really in an active way they're breathing out very very heavily and their vapour cloud goes a lot further than somebody who is walking. Um, So you do not want to be in the slipstream of a runner or a cyclist. So if you are a runner or a cyclist my, make sure you are keeping to the two-meter limit because if you are running past somebody at close contact, you could well be infecting them. Um, you might be perfectly well. We know there are people who don't um, who don't breathe or who don't feel the symptoms very well, even if you are asymptomatic. If you are running and cycling, you actually run a greater risk of your vapor cloud getting into somebody's space. So, two meters is absolutely the minimum closest you should be passing somebody so cross to the other side of the road if you're running or you're cycling and try and avoid people and equally if you're a pedestrian and you can see people coming against you across the other side of the road um because the two meters it might not be actually enough if somebody is cycling and panting very or running and panting very very hard um there's he's in his early 60s that's not elderly peter that's not elderly um but he's vulnerable is that it? Okay, well, if you're vulnerable, you're also not supposed to be out. So, look, if you want to come on air and fill us in, you can, but I'm not going to keep having this argument with you while you're talking to Katie off air. <laughs> anyway, Norma's on the line. Norma, um, what's the story? You're, you're uh, upset about people coming off planes. Good morning,
10: Deirdre. Yes,
3: I am quite concerned
10: because I gather that the people arriving, in passengers arriving in Ireland, on the planes and the boats. are, I'm just wondering, maybe you would know or maybe somebody on air would know, are there any restrictions on them when they arrive in Ireland?
3: Yeah, if you're flying in from abroad, you are supposed to isolate for 14 days. I know people currently who have been repatriated from India in the last while and they are self-isolating in um, an Airbnb accommodation, you know, on their own uh, for 14 days before they go home to their family.
10: But I wonder, do they, does anybody follow up on that? Because I, don't I know. know there was somebody in a supermarket in West Cork yesterday, and she had just come in from England.
3: Wow, really?
10: So I think that um, we—I'm cocooning, so I'm quite concerned. I haven't gone outside my gate in three weeks, mm-hmm. and I kind of feel that until they stop all these flights and boats coming into Ireland, that we are all going to be locked up for the next twelve months. Mm. Or else, if they do come into Ireland that they would have to have restrictions that they are cocooning for two weeks.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely Norma. Like, did somebody you know actually meet that person? Because we've been getting a lot of kind of 2nd reports, no, but we're not is, getting any visible stuff, is you is know? This is a fact, this is
10: a fact. Yeah. This is a fact, uh, definitely a fact. And they had just come in in the last few days? They had only come in yesterday. Oh, wow. So this is my problem. We The, the guards are trying to do what they possibly can mm. in Ireland, but this is, until they stop the planes and the boats, this um, epidemic will last for a long long time.
12: Mm.
3: I have to say Norma I agree with you I don't understand why that hasn't been stopped and I think that they, they could be making exceptions for people say who are repatriating for example if somebody is you know is an Irish citizen and they're entitled to be here for their quarantine rather than being abroad where they've no money and no contacts or whatever um, and they're repatriated under those conditions and they're cocooning for their 14 days but I don't understand why why we are still letting um, people travel here who maybe have second homes here or whatever. Um, and I see, I don't know if you've been following New Zealand, where they completely shut the borders and they've only had one case.
10: Well, this is what I feel. that mm. Ireland should do the very same. Like, I know that if I had family in New Zealand or anywhere, I would love to have they come home. But come home is one thing, but they have to isolate themselves when they come home. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I have nothing against people coming back to Ireland, just that they will follow the rules and the laws. And I don't know how it. That will not happen in Ireland unless they totally close the borders. Mm.
3: Another texter says, "I can't believe what I am hearing from family members living in Bantry and Kenmare. The influx of strangers after landing in the last two days. Even a French man has arrived in the Bantry area. Thought the Gardaí were stopping this. Yeah, I mean." To be honest, uh, we talked about this yesterday in terms of people, um, you know, Irish people have traditionally not had a great relationship with with telling the guards on your neighbours it's not something we like to do. But I think in this case, like, if you know of somebody who has recently arrived and is getting out into the shops and is going out and about, then I think a visit from the guards to remind them that they should be staying at home would be no harm.
10: Absolutely. But you're in a position to maybe push this thing with the department. Look that, you know, Mm that you have to stop boats and planes coming in.
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of those are cargo flights and cargo um Well, ships. certainly
10: they're, they're, they have to come in, but I'm just talking about people about coming into Ireland, if they don't do what they're supposed to do, which, as you know, people don't always follow the rules. Yeah. So I just felt, I, I haven't been on the air before, but I felt quite strong about this when I heard about this person in the West Cork town yesterday yeah. who had just come in from England and she was shopping in the supermarket. That is not fair to the staff in the supermarket. It's not fair to the people shopping beside them. Mm. So I just felt I should take up the phone and make my comment to
3: you. Thanks, Norma, for that. Okay, I appreciate the call, your And care. you're doing a great job. Thank you very uh, much. Thank you very much. Bye bye now. Thank you. It's yeah. It's it's a tough one. Now we had calls about this the other day off air, and I spoke to Fields Supermarket in in um, Skibbereen, who weren't willing to make a comment on it because a number of people had said to me that they had seen um, holiday holidayers, holiday makers in Fields, um, but Fields obviously weren't going to comment on that because they've lots of customers from various places. Um... Another caller says the government should look at what is happening with cyclists as well as runners. They're going along walkways and they don't even ring their bell to warn you as they're whizzing past. They may not knock people down but they are really frightening. Um... Yeah, I suppose the government probably has a lot on its plate at the moment. I'm not sure that's going to be a top priority, but yeah, certainly the walkways are busier than ever. Um, where I walk in the evenings myself um, is, is quite busy, but the guards are monitoring it, so like the, everybody is being very obedient, we'll say, but it is busier than usual, so it can be a bit hard to avoid people. Another caller says, why is everyone only talking about the elderly going out for walks? What about all the English red cars arriving in places such as Rosslare Well, for the moment, if those people are not being stopped coming in, that makes it even more important that if you are elderly or vulnerable, you stay in. You just stay inside. Because if those people are arriving, which isn't fair, fair enough, I I absolutely appreciate the injustice of this, but if they're going to endanger you, then you have to do your best to protect yourself. Um, And it is a bit victim-blaming, but unfortunately, that's where we're at. Um, Jar says, could an hour or two a day be set aside for the over-70s to get out for a walk, just like the supermarket's allocating some time for shopping? Sure, yeah, it's a lovely idea. Um it is a lovely idea. Yeah. I don't see why not in some respects, yeah. Uh caller says I was walking the marina yesterday, good guard of presence, but down by the pond, a group of lads drunk at three PM, um not self isolating. Lots of people worried, it's easy to hide away. Now parents come on here. I fully understand they can't fully control sixteen control sixteen year olds, but they should find the parents if they're found. Yeah, it must be very tough for parents of unruly teenagers at the moment. Like, we did an interview, just as this was all starting, we did a huge interview with a lady whose son is a joyrider. Um, We still haven't broadcast it because we actually haven't had a chance. Um, Not long after the tragic death in the Northside due to joyriding and the um, this lady was absolutely in fear of her son coming to some bad end himself or actually killing somebody else while he was out joyriding and I can't imagine how parents in that situation are actually managing now because if they were doing this at the best of times, they're certainly still going to be doing it now and if you couldn't control them then you don't have much hope now. Like if you are a parent in that situation, I'd love to hear from you let you know let us know how you're doing and whether your children are actually taking any of this seriously. 185715996 and the donation line again is eighteen fifty-fifty ninety-six ninety-six.
2: I'm on course ninety-six FM. With the
5: Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's filling station, Turner's Cross. Great deals on all solid fuels. With seven-day delivery, solidfueldepot.ie.
0: Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra.
2: Talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call
5: us now, 1850
2: 715 996. On Courts, 96 FM.
5: Great initiatives
3: going on, of course, all over the country and all over the world, actually, to be fair. I think um, every place people are stepping up to the mark and doing their bit. Um, but none more so, of course, than in the Lions Clubs. McCroom and Cove Lions Club, both doing PPE printing for um, frontline workers. Hi, James O'Sullivan from McCroom Lions. You're taking the lead on this.
14: Uh, good morning, D. Yes, we are. Um, we have been watching the, the great work that has been done by a lot of different groups, um, in everyone, everything from 3D printing to manufacturing to um, just different groups of people that have got together to try and help out here. We're all in this together. So the Lions Clubs, starting with McCroom and joined very quickly by Cove, and and Cork as a county and, and our zone has actually led the initiative within Lions to come together all the clubs across the whole island, north and south, in our in our District 133. And um, it snowballed very quickly. We started with with and Cove, then Bantry, Bishopstown, Carrigaline, Clonakilty, Cork, Douglas, Kinsale and, and Skibreen have uh, all rolled in. And at the moment, we have a target that we set ourselves of about €100,000 to make approximately 200,000 um, Hero Sheet Advisors, which are frontline PPE equipment that's needed across almost every spectrum.
3: Fantastic, and where have you been donating them to? Are you going directly to the hospitals, or
14: our first, our first batch, our our final test batch is actually on the way to court today. We have one of our vans gone for it, um, so we're we're running the final test to make sure everything is okay because this is going to take a bit of time. Um, mm-hmm. They're available to all frontline workers, um, be they medical, be they in nursing homes. Uh, we have a batch which we hope to have ready. We're, fine. We're, twe- we're tweaking them at the minute. We should have them ready from Tuesday or Wednesday for the Gardee across the whole country.
3: Fantastic. Do you know something now I'm going to ask you personally because we've been contacted by so many Home Helps, both HSE Home Helps and ones with private companies that don't have PPE. Can I ask you on air can you give some of those to the Home Helps?
14: Absolutely. What what I can do be is um, our McCroom line sub is actually uh, of all times moving our website at the minute. So I can oh, give great. you my own personal email. It's James Mm-hmm. At Delforno. D E L F O R N O. I E, and anybody that needs help like that, just pop me an email. Um, I, I hopefully the guys will pass on a number there if somebody wants to call um, I'd like to keep it to email if possible because yeah. it means we don't miss anybody and um, we are getting calls from all over the country as is from groups that have fallen through the cracks that, that should be able to, to access um, the, the, the advisors like this we're dealing specifically with advisors but we're also getting offers of help from other people so if, if someone wants to make contact with us directly that way um, they can also make contact with us through the McCroom Lines Club Facebook page in particular um, I know I'll be monitoring that. Also, mm. um Cove are quite active on their Facebook page. If you go and look for your local Lions Club, your local Lions Club in, in whatever area that you're in will be available, will be aware of the, the project that's happening because we're 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 trying to fundraise as quickly as we possibly can. We have yeah. a bank account where the details are actually on the McCroom Lions Club Facebook page. Um, so, but but essentially your local Lions Club is the place to, to reach out to and we're, we're more than happy to filter it because we have the, the information in place to, to brilliant. help you
3: out. That's absolutely brilliant James, fair play to you, well done and uh, keep up the good work so if you are a home help, I know a number of home helps have been in touch with us who don't have any PPE, um, some of them have got gloves now I think and um, the hand sanitizer I think eventually arrive for some but again I know you're all employed by different agencies and by different um, subsections of things um, but you can contact your local Lions Club and to Ask for a peep for a shield because they're three D printing those face, facial shields, um, so I think that that's a good um, way of doing it. If you want to talk to James, if you are not online and you want to call us, we can pass you on James's number off air. Um, but I know I've taken personally a number of calls from home help, so hopefully that is of some bit of assistance um, to them. Now we're going to take a quick song because I am going to hear from. Um, one of our colleagues in the Irish Sun, Karen McDade, about an initiative they are running. Uh, in conjunction with us, of course, today, they have a fabulous spread about frontline workers in Cork. If you know or are, a frontline worker in one of our Cork hospitals fighting the coronavirus. Um, Take a look at the Sun today because they have this fabulous spread just um, paying tribute to them and highlighting our campaign today, the Frontline Legends campaign. And I'll be speaking to Kieran McDade, who's the editor there, in a few moments. Uh, Texter says, good morning, I wish to voice my opinion on what I think is an important issue. I live in a direct provision centre and I see the staff don't seem to be wearing protective gear. I feel they are also frontline staff. They deal with over 100 residents from different countries. I feel they have a very important role I wish to remain anonymous and a great show. Thank you, Texter, for that. I'm always happy to hear from you and hear your perspective because um, we don't tend to always hear what's going on in direct provision centres. Yeah, there are three centres in the city. Well, three centres close to the city. There's um, the one here across from us on Wellington Road and there's one in the Kinsale Road and there's Ashburn House out in Lanton, as well as one in Mill Street and I think another one in Mallow. Um, and we know that there have been cases in a number of centres. There are a little kind of clusters in a couple of different centres inevitable really when people are living in such close quarters Um, and certainly if there are any cases staff should definitely have protective gear Um, does your centre have any cases do you know? You want to let us know that um, and we can try and follow it up but it is difficult to get any answers um, in relation to direct provision. Just want to mention as well in relation to that Lions Club case thank you for Seamus Wheelhan from FrontPageNews.ie who got in touch with us about that absolutely great initiative and again if you're a home help I think the Lions Club might be the people to contact to get that visor for yourself and um, if your employer or the HSC or whoever it is isn't able to provide you with it because we know there is a shortage of them centrally and um, But all these local initiatives, hopefully now, will start to bed in. Um, And I am told by a nurse in the CUH that they actually do have enough PPE now, which is brilliant, and hopefully that will remain the case. Now, on to um, our colleagues in The Sun, who, as I said, are running a campaign at the moment, um, helping out charities. Kieran McDade, Editor of The Sun, good morning. Good morning, how
15: are you? I'm not too bad. It's a busy time for you guys as well, I think. God, yeah, absolutely, yeah. We're all, uh, I think every... Every industry at the minute is uh, trying to find new ways of working and trying to just trying to get the job done as best we can. So, uh, yeah, media is no different, is it? We all have to uh, just change the way we do things but still try to uh, do the good work and get the message out. That's it. Got be with the days and we'd be wishing for a bit of news. I know, I know. <laughs> there's, no, uh, there's no there's no, lack of news, sadly. Sadly, most of it's uh, bad news. But, uh, but yeah, we, we're doing our best to brighten things up as well. So, Firstly, though, let me say, congratulations on your campaign. That's a brilliant idea—the raising funds for Cork's frontline legends—and uh, best of luck with it. And, mm. and a, a brilliant cause. And the, the people down there, that these our frontline, need our support the, the, these days more than ever. So it's uh, it's a brilliant initiative. Um, but yes, on to so on Monday's paper, we are donating all our in Monday's every somewhere donating all advertising space to charities. Because it's just such a difficult time for them at the minute. Mm. Uh, people are struggling to make ends meet themselves and worrying about their own future and their own jobs. And never mind charities. So it, we were just doing a piece, just seeing how they were effect, charities were affected. And like just in the last month, say, well, starting today, you know, Cystic Fibrosis Ireland's sixty-five Roses Day—that's their big collection day. Yeah. Aimed to raise two hundred thousand euro. It's gone. You know, they're obviously doing it virtually, and people can still donate online. But you know that's a big source of income for them. Them gone. Also earlier this month we had Irish Cancer Society's Daffodil Day. Again, that's gone. They they usually get four million euro from that, believe it or not. So, you know that's a massive hole in their finances. And yeah. Make Wish Ireland that we've done some work with as well. They had to cancel their Wish Day. So all these things, social distancing, people not on the streets, it's having a you know, it's almost the unexpected consequences of all these measures that are then having a knock-on effect on charities.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. So the whole paper's advertising
9: space?
15: Yes, that's it, yeah, yeah. I think we've got uh, 15 crammed in at the minute, so, uh, and, you know, as well as... All the, like we've contacted obviously all the charities and they're you know obviously they're happy. It's it's kind of just a great chance to give them a platform, remind people that they're out there, mm. what their individual cases are, and then alongside the advertising, we're actually doing just the the the, deep, the sort of examples I raised there and many more. Like we've got Marie Keating Foundation, Autism Charity, As I Am, we've got Barnardo's. You know all these charities are affected in different ways and the people they deal with are affected in different ways, you know, from the social distancing, from people having to isolate in homes. So uh, it's just, we'd be telling all those stories and giving people a chance and telling how they can still support these charities that are doing important work so yeah it's uh, brilliant
3: Karen. that's an absolutely yeah. phenomenal idea because I know we've been contacted by so many charities for the same reasons that they're just trying to get the message out there and I suppose in all the bad news and in all the redundancies and the people laid off and everything we I suppose, do have to remember there's quite a lot of people who do still have their full incomes and actually as somebody said to me the other day nothing to spend it on because they can't go anywhere <laughs> so yes. there is certainly a some of us who are privileged enough to still have our work um, and still have our incomes can actually help out a little little bit now to all those other people who are having more difficulties
15: absolutely absolutely and and that said it's just to i guess it's just it's just to give these the charities a platform and just to remind people they're out there they're doing it and you know they can the kind of really sort of uplifting thing i, I find about things just the a lot of these charities obviously you know they work in the back of volunteers it's volunteers for all the effort and a lot of that work's still going on and it's it's incredible you know despite the you know the current difficulties and i'm sure there's a lot of, of the volunteers that maybe aren't working at the minute but they're all still you know doing their best to carry on their work so you know these people are giving up their time for free in such a worrying time for all of us you know but they're still going out and they're tr- still trying to help the people they have been helping so like it is you know it's just that lovely thing of you know what what we're good at here in ireland just neighborhood and people looking after each other and the charities are still trying to do that as much as they possibly can.
3: That's it. And how can people get in touch with the Sun to book an ad, Karen?
15: God, well, yeah, that's. Uh, I think they've all they've all already been on this. You've got account. them already. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our, our advertising department has been swamped. It's one of those things. You see, you kind of uh, you enter into something and you don't really know, you know, how yeah, it'll what the be, demand you know. is. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But my God, it's. Uh, we might we might we might have to extend it for a few days, and we will you know we'd make sure everyone gets uh gets a spot if we can't like there may be some like a some that we just can't physically you know yeah. the paper won't be able to hold on the day, and if there is we'll we'll take them either day, but certainly if anyone's out there and they're you know and they're you, they really want us a local cause if the email Irish sun just all one word Irish sun at the hyphen dot i e uh we'll do our best to accommodate them as best we can.
3: Fantastic, that's great, Kieran McDay, editor of the Irish Sun. A fair play to you for what you're doing, and uh, hope it goes really well. And remind everyone to pick up a copy of the Irish Sun to read some of those charity stories on Monday. Absolutely great idea, because we know ourselves we're we're getting so many calls from charities anxious to get out the message that they're still operating, they still need donations, unfortunately, to keep going. Um, and there are some of us who are lucky enough to still have our work. If if you do still have your job and your income, um, you know, and maybe you're not paying for childcare at the moment, or you're not paying the cost of your your diesel for your commute, um, or there is some other money that you're saving um, for your daily rummage around pennies at lunchtime or something maybe it would be worth donating it to one of the charities that are experiencing such huge losses at the moment. A texter says to oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Deirdre can I just make a point frontline workers aren't frontline healthcare workers aren't just hospitals and carers how about all that work in our GP surgeries my own GP surgery has been so accommodating during this time any questions or anything I'm unsure of someone in the surgery is there to answer for me they're all heroes as well in my eyes absolutely my own GP practice have been brilliant been able to get through to them without a problem any time I needed anything and uh, there I suppose as you say, they're on the front line, pharmacy workers on the front line. I know PJ made the error of trying to make a full, complete list of all the front line workers, but, you know, anyone who is working and battling this in some way, you know, um, is doing their bit, so fair play. Just want to mention as well, if you are trying to get through to our phone line to donate for the Frontline Legends campaign, we are a little bit overwhelmed. This is an awful lot of callers trying to get through. Um, but, you know, you can call throughout the day, so it doesn't have to be right now, but you can call throughout the day. You can also text us and we will call you back to sort out your donation. So you can text us on the normal number 083 396 96 96, 96. Um, and the donation phone number, if you want to ring, is 1850 50 96 96. That's 1850 50 96 96. Um, yeah, we, we just have been overwhelmed. There's an awful lot of people trying to contact us. I see an email there from Judy who got eight emails to thank her for her donation from the website. So I'm sorry about that, Judy, but thank you for the donation again. Um, it's just the website is a little bit busy, that's all. Um, but please do um, continually try and donate. So it's 0833 96 96 96 is the number you can text. And just text and say you wish to donate and we will contact you back then from that Um So, loads of things happening. People are printing shields and people are collecting stuff from beauticians Uh, people are collecting stuff from pubs and hotels and all of that kind of thing but there are also people now sewing masks this has come up a couple of times in the past few weeks. We've spent a lot of time trying to research whether you're supposed to wear a mask or not to be honest the research is still a little bit up in the air so for frontline health workers they need full PPE but they need a medical grade full um, masks, gowns visors the whole kit and caboodle now obviously ordinary people do not need that and it would be a waste of that to give it to anybody who isn't a frontline health worker dealing with COVID patients but there is now some research showing that it may be effective to wear a mask to protect other people from you so you wearing a mask is not necessarily going to protect you from other people infecting you but it might protect other people from you I had a text the other day from somebody who saw someone in a supermarket wearing a mask who took down the mask to sneeze a number of times and then put the mask back up but that's not the point of the mask Uh, Maisie, the mask is for you to sneeze into so that you don't infect everyone else, anyway a number of women in direct provision are actually manufacturing these masks at the moment, amazing project I'll be talking to Vera who's overseeing that in just a moment
2: The Opinion Line on Courts 96 FM.
5: With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Call and collect or get seven day delivery for those cozy nights in
2: solidfueldepot.ie. This is Courts, Gold Imro award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us
5: now, 1850
2: 715 996. On Courts 96 FM.
5: Now, I
3: mentioned before the news that women in direct provision are now making masks to help protect people against the COVID epidemic. Vera, good morning. Good morning, Deirdre. Vera, tell me what's going on. What are you all doing?
16: Um, so we're, we started an initiative called the Sanctuary Mask Initiative where we've recruited women living in direct provision centres in sixty or six centres across Cork to make hygiene masks. Uh, first, to give to people living in direct provision and then second, to give to other vulnerable communities in Cork.
3: Brilliant. And
16: uh, are you involved with Community and Direct Provision? Are you there yourself? Or? Yeah, so this, um, uh, I coordinate an organisation called Better Together. Um, and this project is in collaboration with Better Together, the Cork Migrant Centre in Nanoneagle Place. And we're also supported by the UCC University of Sanctuary. And so the Migrant Centre and Better Together work directly with women in uh, Direct Provision in Cork.
3: Brilliant. And would a lot of the women who are there have these kind of skills already?
16: Yes. Uh so one of the main women who is uh, she's our production manager, Olga um uh Oh, we is, know um, Olga. She has a business yes. just down the street from us here. She does, yes. She's she runs the um, she owns a sewing studio on Patrick's Hill and mm-hmm. she's um she's a seamstress. So when we um when we first reached out to her to see if she could make us some masks, um she uh, she'd already her business wasn't wasn't taking anybody because of the new because uh, of the new lockdown. Yeah. So, um she's recruited uh, fifteen women with with uh, sewing skills across the centres to help out. Brilliant! And um, so all the women are very skilled seamstresses themselves. Okay, so how many have they made to date? Um so the project, oh, the we've made about um, five hundred of them, uh, but we only we only officially started on Monday.
3: God, that's really good. 500 yes. since Monday. So, and how yes. how many people are they trying to to cater for across all the centers?
16: So, we're trying to we're trying to make enough to cover um 2000 people living in direct provision in Cork and mm. um, to give enough for three masks each. So, we're we're first of all going to make 6000 masks to cover everybody in the centers in Cork and then we're going to Uh, reach out to other vulnerable communities to provide them as well.
3: It's absolutely brilliant and I mean it's a difficult time for people life is difficult enough for people in direct provision at the best of times but at a time like this people must be very frightened
16: Yes um, and this is where the idea came from as well. We reached out to women in the centres to see what they needed at the time. Mm. And uh, the two main things that that came up because it's not possible to do social distancing in the centres. People are restricted to their rooms, but they still need to use the pub or the public spaces. Mm. um so are the communal spaces. So the two main things that they wanted was hand sanitizer and masks, which were both impossible to get at the time.
3: Yeah so this is what they did. Well it's great to see people kind of taking their, their fate into their own hands to the extent that they can um, I know that they've limited opportunity to do that so fair play to them for um, for kind of doing their bit and Vera we, uh, we'll we we'll talk to you again hopefully throughout this um, we have heard that some people have been moved out of the centres, have you any information on that in terms of people who um, to, to get out and self isolate? We, we'd spoken to Graham Clifford from the Sanctuary Runners recently just about um, healthcare workers in particular trying to get out of the centres so so as to avoid cross-infection between um, healthcare sites and the centres themselves. Do you have any idea how kind of how well that is going?
16: No, there's been talks about thinning out some of the centres, but um, I wouldn't be able to give any official information about it.
3: Okay, no problem. Um, Vera, thanks a million for talking to us and uh, no doubt we'll speak to you again and keep up the good work. Brilliant, thank thanks you very, very much. much. Thank you. Um, so... That's a really great initiative from Women in Direct Provision. It just shows you all those skills that are there all the time and and, and they're unable to use them. It really does um, kind of remind you of the circumstances people are living in. We did have some information that they had moved some people out of one of the Direct Provision centres into a hotel just to kind of create some bit of distancing. I don't know how well that's going. If anybody in Direct Provision or anybody who who is working with people in Direct Provision can uh, let us know what's happening there, that would be great. Um, Now, so A couple of people got in touch with us about a strange smell in Kerry Um in relation to I don't know what. Originally at the beginning we had a few different calls about it, uh, but I think they have identified the source of the smell. Councillor Anthony Barry is on the line. Anthony, what is the source of the smell?
17: The source of the smell that's being, I suppose, it's a pervasive smell there at the Cove Junction. Uh, it's coming from the Merck plant. It's the uh, water treatment abatement plant uh, that they uh, treat the the rice the, pasta waste material on site, and uh, they're having difficulties with that plant.
3: Okay, so it's just it's it's from the plant. Is it is there any kind of danger presented by it or anything like that? Uh,
17: we've been uh, I've been uh, assured by both EPA and Merck themselves that there is no health risk. But apart from the fact that it is a fairly nauseating smell, I must admit, uh, to anyone that's there, and a lot of people in Tool have serious issues with the smell. Okay. All
3: right, so people are not very happy about it, but they're saying they're kind of working on, on getting it sorted.
17: Yeah, I spoke to the management in Merck uh, a few days ago, and uh, they've guaranteed me that they're doing all their power. The, the issue was they had a their problem with death. Um, there's a specific name for it now, but it escapes me at the moment. But it is actually... The, the treatment of the, the final residue um, of their process before it goes into the, the full uh, council or Irish water there is no uh, treatment plant in Carrick too and uh, they've had issues with that they went to fix those issues and it actually I think it made it worse okay. and um, th- that's a problem they just have at the moment and I know they are, they are working very diligently or have at least assured me that they are trying to resolve that issue
3: Okay, alright, Councillor Anthony Barry from Finnegale uh, thank you for that, so if you're in Cartool and that smell is bothering you, it's Merck is the source of it and they are working on trying to fix it um, just to let you know as well if you can't, if you haven't been able to get through to our donation line 1850 50 96 96 you can text us on the usual text number oh eight three. 396 9696 and let us know you'd like to donate and we will call you back um, a member of our team over Jack voice who are doing this with us um, will call you back just to make sure that you can donate so thank you Caroline Paul um and a good few more people who have texted us to let us know that they are um that they're willing to donate and they just want to do that so if you can't get through to the main line on 1850 50 96 96 you can text us on 083 3 96 96 96 and we will get back to you to process that donation for our Frontline Legends an absolutely amazing response to this so much so that both the website and the phone line have been a bit overwhelmed so thank you to everyone who has gotten in touch and to everyone who is intending to donate. You can do so throughout the day and in the next hour of the show I will be speaking to A couple of frontline workers just to give us an idea of how things are going for them at the moment and what it's like Um, we understand that Cork hospitals are not overwhelmed yet um, which is obviously really great news Um, we had heard news from the last couple of days that some of the hospitals in Dublin now are starting to fill up the ICU the traditional ICU units will say are actually full now Um, I think the matter was one hospital where that was full I think Vincent's is quite busy Um, but in Cork I understand from internal sources in the hospital that they're not full, anything like full yet, um, which is excellent news I mean it's it's come up again and again but the wor- the best thing that could happen at the end of all this is that people say we overreacted because you know they always say you can tell a lot about a society by how it treats its most vulnerable and everything that's happening now is to protect the most vulnerable. It's to protect the people who do not have the um physical resources to protect themselves, who don't have the the um the I suppose the, the health or the, the bodily resources to help themselves. Um and you know we're just everybody needs to do their best to try and protect them. One thing I suppose that you can do while you're cocooning or you're in isolation is read. Now, I was thinking about this this morning. I'm a big reader and I like watching TV and all of that. To be honest, um, this kind of isolation thing makes no great difference to my life anyway in some ways um, because I'd be happy inside of the book anyway. For people who aren't readers or don't watch TV, I really can't imagine how you're filling your time Um Gardening, I suppose, doing a bit of painting if you still have some paint in the shed. Um, you know, I do feel a bit sorry for people. I wonder if, you know, even old matches were being shown, would that be something for them? But if you do read, um I have a recommendation for you. I've just finished it. It's called The Liberation of Bridget Dunn and it's by Patricia Scanlon, who is on the line now. Good morning, Patricia.
9: Good morning, Deirdre. How are you?
3: I'm not too bad at all. I loved the book, first of all. Oh, well I'm done. I'm
9: delighted to hear that. You're a very
3: well known author. Um I think everybody will recognise your name. You don't need a whole pile of introduction really. <laughs>
9: 30 years now, Deirdre, would you believe, since City Girl came out? Oh my gosh, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's actually going to. It, it's, it was a holy Thursday in 1990 that wow. we launched City Girl. So. Yeah, a few people might know me now at this stage.
3: I think they do, I think they do. I remember picking up City Girls in my aunt's house um, years and years ago and uh, they I was sort of a bookish child and they were sort of trying to get me to read, you know, kind of boring things. And I picked that up and sure, I was intrigued. I was like, all these grown-up goings-on, <laughs> you know. know. <laughs> I mean, thank God it wasn't Jilly Cooper lying around the place, that's all I said. <laughs> But so your, your latest book is a bit away from City Girls. It's about a nun. It is. It's
9: about uh, an 80-year-old nun called Bridget. And um, so there's going to be a surprise birthday party for her. And uh, her sister, Amelda has always been very jealous of Bridget and very angry with her because Bridget left um, her hometown, little country town of Ard-Clock, uh, because of something that happened to her. And she needed to get away fast. And in those days, um, you know, it was a great honor to have a nun or a priest in the family. And... Um, uh, Bridget decided having heard some French nuns at a retreat um, that would be the ideal escape from our clock for her so she joined the convent not because she had um, a-, a calling um, which was to plague her for the rest of her, her life really but uh, her sister Imelda was so angry that um, Bridget escaped first because she wanted to get out. You know, when you live in a a rural community and uh, in in the 50s, Mm. the dream was to get to Dublin and, uh, you know, Imelda wanted to live her own life in a bedsit or a a little flat and go dancing in the iron ballroom and go to a proper cinema, not a now cow shed with the rain coming down on the roof um, and not having to help her, her parents with the farm. Um, but Bridget got away first and all through their lives there's this kind of jealous anger and not realising that each envies what the other has. Bridget would have loved a husband and children, which Imelda had, um, and a house for her own. And Amelda um, would have loved the freedom that Bridget had out in the, the missions in Africa um, because she used to write the letters home and it all sounded so so colourful and exciting, like Bridget was driving um, along the Senegal the the river and uh, going to the camps and setting up mother and baby homes uh, or um, clinics. And um, so the the party arrives and it happens. There's a house called the Four Winds, uh, which is a holiday home for the nuns, and uh, that's where Bridget has kind of spent a lot of her retirement. And um, there's a party. And Imelda gets a bit pissed... And then out it
3: all comes, and there's uproar. Do you know, I have to say, out of the whole book, like, and I suppose for, for our younger listeners as well, there are, there's a whole cross generational storylines as well. So there's uh, the the granddaughter who's, what, in her That's 20s, right. and there's her mother as well. And there's there's an awful lot of um, the relationships between all of them. Yes. I really liked the character of Imelda. I know she's probably not, she's not very likable, but I felt she was so realistic. Well, I think everybody <laughs>
9: has an Imelda in their lives. Everybody, oh, no everybody does. Imelda. Yes. Like Amanda used to make me laugh because she muscled her her way into the book. I had just intended to write about um Bridget and uh Bridget's um niece um Keelan and her daughter Keelan's daughter Mary Claire, mm. who who had come home from Canada because um her boyfriend had done the dirty on her. And um this I was sitting at my desk one day and I, I, I wrote I think it was chapter four, chapter five, and uh I'm typing. Will I make your stuffing for you, Mrs. O'Brien? Indeed, and you will not. I'll make my own stuffing. Thank you. I said to myself, "Now, who's this one? She's a bit of a wagon." <laughs> and, Melda muscled her way in. But, but um, you know, people will understand where she's coming from because she always sees herself as, as the um, the Martha to um, to Mary. You know, she was the one who had to do uh, do all the hard work around the house and and look after the parents while. British wand around being religious.
3: Yeah, I think there's de- like there's an Imelda in every single family. I think yeah. everybody knows one. Yeah. Um, so Patricia, it's it's a great book. I really enjoyed it. I thought the relationships between the women were so interesting, and it really mapped out all the social changes. Like you've you've the social change that both Bridget and Imelda dealt with, and they're talking about the referenda, and they're talking about the church and the place of the yeah. church. Well, they
9: come, British comes from uh, and Amelda come from such a different uh, generation and mm. such a different timescape. Um, you know, I write about the contraceptive train, about Mel yeah. McCarthy and Marion Johnson, and the and the women going up to, to uh, Belfast, uh, because I wanted the younger women, my younger readers, to to. Appreciate that their their freedoms were hard fought for yeah. by these women. Uh, yeah. they they a lot of a lot of the young women now wouldn't know who who you were talking about. Um, but those women fought for our rights.
3: Absolutely, and it really does convey that sense. And Patricia Scanlon, thank you for that. I'm out of time, I'm afraid, but thanks a million for joining me this morning.
2: You're listening to highlights from the Opinion Line on Corks ninety six FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or C 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96FM.
3: and all day today we are of course raising funds for Corks Frontline Legends you can text us of course if you are we are experiencing a high volume of calls and traffic to our website and phones to donate to Corks Frontline Legends so if you are having to wait to donate please text your name and number to 083 396 9696 and we will call you back now another group of people, we spoke about people in direct provision earlier who are pretty trapped in their circumstances, as many of us are at this time, but maybe to a little more extreme. Um, Another group of people who are also stuck where where they were are the Defence Forces. There are a lot of members of the Defence Forces who are regularly stationed abroad of course, but this pandemic is not just in Ireland of course, it's worldwide and more than 400 Irish peacekeeping troops due home to their families soon will have to spend more than a month extra overseas due to the pandemic. A decision is expected to be announced by the UN this week that the rotation of peacekeepers to and from all missions across the globe will be put on hold until the end of June. Now there was an article in the Irish Independent about this earlier this week and I understand understand that the uh, wives and partners of the Defence Forces are pretty upset that it was leaked to the press before the the Defence Forces themselves were indeed informed, not a mind informing their families. Shelley Cotter from the WPDF is on the line at the moment. Hi Shelley. What I'm, what I'm understanding from this is that this was leaked to the papers before anybody was officially informed. Correct.
18: What happened was um, rumours obviously as they do have been milling around for about a week week and a half and we had lads we have, we have lads serving in Mali, Lebanon and Syria. Um, they had been told unofficially that they weren't coming home. So a few had told their wives. Um, then there were phone calls given to the families to say that they were coming home oh. from the bases. So we were getting cross messages in and out. Um, and then we heard the UN had made the request that they stay. But Ireland had not made any decision on it. And long story short, in one day, the newspaper article came out. The base has contacted families to say they were coming home. The article came out to say they weren't coming home. And families are absolutely in disarray. Um, I think for us, this whole country is worried. Um, We worry about the loved ones that are cocooning. We're worried about our young kids. And now to worry about our lads who still have no idea What's going on? It's, an, it's just an added stress, an mm. absolute added stress. Um, they're more than happy to do their job. I mean, another worry that the families had, which is actually quite small now in comparison, was when they come home, um, they expected all the boys, and the, the, our lads, to come home and self-isolate at home as soon as they came back. Oh. Now, that in essence would be fine, if you didn't have young children or a home, you could do it in. Yeah. But for these children, not seeing mommy or daddy for six months to a year, because we do have serving members after serving a year over there already. Um, wow. To come home and stay in a spare room and not be allowed to see, touch them for another two weeks, it, it just, the mind boggles how you could do that to children.
6: God, or families who don't best,
18: have the ability. It? So we were in the process of arranging and they gladly did so to let these men and women stay in their barracks to isolate so Mm. they could come home safely and have the reunion that all other battalions would have when they come home and then this has been thrown in in the mix so there's an awful lot of distraught families around Ireland at the moment.
3: Yeah and Shelley in terms of the locations where they're serving, I suppose everywhere kind of has it now. Um, they wouldn't have access to to ICUs probably in most of those locations.
18: Well, along with anybody serving, you will always have the core medical group that's ready to, you know, in in times. I know we're not at war, mm. but you can still have issues. You could still have explosions. You could still have anything. So there are medical crews on board or on board and um, on barracks and bases wherever you are stationed who are ready for things, who are ready for any eventuality. So medically, we're always covered. That would never be a worry.
10: Yeah,
8: Um, okay.
18: We're quite contained in our bases abroad. um, And obviously, there would be now, they would carry on each country in line with whatever restrictions are in place. So there are an awful lot of things that would protect our lads abroad.
3: Okay, so they're not in any immediate danger from the virus, it's just a case that that people are are upset that they won't be home when they're supposed to have been home?
18: They still have to isolate, um, but now this delay, I think the delay in itself would have been hard enough, but it's the communication, it's the mixed-up messages, it's the leaked piece in a newspaper, um, the the military families, and the military themselves, the Defence Forces themselves, have nothing to do with. This is between the UN and the Department of Defence.
9: Right.
18: So, yeah. you know, it's a hard time. It is a hard time. And the not knowing the department issuing a statement saying, we will decide soon enough, mm. all leaves everybody hanging. Um, you've got men and women who would be forming up at the moment, um, which means prepping themselves, staying away from families for two, three weeks while they form up and get ready to go. These are all hanging... Do they stay away from their families during form up? Do they now go back because they have another month? It's it's a mess day, it's an absolute mess and families are paying for it and we have cork families at the moment waiting for their loved ones to come home and have no idea, none.
3: Shelley Cotter from the WPDF, thanks for keeping us posted on that and hopefully they'll get some certainty soon because it is, like it's hard enough without um, adding the loneliness and the uncertainty to all of this A texter says, can you please reiterate the Coast Guard or in line notice not to exercise in the sea Myrtleville, Crosshaven, thank you for helping to keep us safe Um, I didn't know there was a notice, is there a notice that you can't swim, is it? I didn't know that. No, obviously, it makes sense that there would be, but I didn't realise it had been issued. Another caller says to, 08, um, to, sorry, to 1850 715 996, says, Can you say a big, huge thanks to the Mayfield Gardaí, who intervened with a gang of fellas out on the lawn? The next thing, they took out knives and started having a go off the guards. They were very brave, and the crowd they were taking on then said someone called the guards, and they were all rats afterwards the guards went door to door and said not to worry about the threats that were made that the guards would always be there for them I saw a different side to the guards last night and what they have to put up with and how they still think of the public even after facing great danger. They were truly brilliant and I don't know where we'd all be this morning if it wasn't for them There you go, we were talking about this yesterday actually and I was thinking it must be really nice for the guards to actually be doing community policing that most of them presumably wanted to be doing. You know, the way we hear so much about their lack of resources in ordinary times, where they're stuck behind desks processing paperwork and they don't actually get out and about on the beat meeting the people they're supposed to be helping and protecting. And I suppose that's meant to be their main function, really, and they don't get to do it an awful lot of the time. Um, you know, crime, I suppose, in anything, prevention is better than cure. So crime prevention is probably better than coming along investigating something afterwards. Um, and that's what was done there, obviously. So well done to them. And hopefully, maybe this will be a better, kind of, better footing going. forward for people in that area. I know that there can be a lot of difficulties, obviously um, Mayfield isn't the only area in the city that has crime and it's not particularly worse than other places, but it... um there, there have been troubles there recently and it is good to see the guards being so proactive and being so um, reassuring to residents there who might be afraid of what's happening. Um, also a shout out on WhatsApp, oh, fantastic a big shout out to Clifford Payton, manager of stores and all the staff at CUH making sure all the wards are stocked with equipment he's working seven days a week making sure stores deliveries are on track and making sure all wards and theatres are stocked up we're told he's a part time DJ as well um, and he's a great guy, our Fergal here knows him, he's super and very conscientious. Fair play, Clifford. Well done. And it just shows you there's all these people in the background that we're not sure about. Um, You know, we don't know about them, we don't hear about them, they're not, you know, in dramatic pictures on the news. So, um,. Well done to Clifford and all his team there working away in the logistical end of CUH. Now in a minute I'm going to be talking to some frontline workers at the Mercy. Obviously um, both of the the major hospitals in Cork are ready and prepared for CUH uh, for Covid rather and um, they are preparing for the worst. We know the worst has not hit in Cork yet um, and obviously we need your help to try and prevent that happening. Um, We Are going to be talking to Margaret McKiernan, who's the Director of Nursing, and Dr. Donal O'Cronin. And I believe they're both in the same room. So they might be a little bit muffled because they're both wearing their full PPE. So that should be an interesting call. Talk to them in just a moment. Stay tuned for that.
2: On course, 96 FM.
5: With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kiln-dried wood, and gas. Solidfueldepot.ie.
2: This is Courts Gold, Imro Award Winning Talk Show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
5: Text or WhatsApp now: Oe three three ninety six
2: on Courts ninety six FM.
5: All day today we are
3: of course raising funds to support our frontline legends in the CUH and in the Mercy by providing some little extras for the staff there that are under severe pressure from COVID-19. On the line I'm joined by Margaret McKiernan who's the Director of Nursing and Dr Donal O'Cronin who's a Consultant Anesthesiologist. Who's holding the phone at the moment?
19: I am, Margaret McKiernan.
3: Margaret, how are you doing? Good,
19: thank you. Good morning.
3: I can I can nearly hear the atmosphere can you describe to me how you're kitted out at the moment
19: well I suppose as a hospital where we're prepared we we've been working for the last number of weeks to to prepare for this we are a covid 19 receiving hospital we've put all appropriate preparation in place for the expected surge and um, and I suppose we're working very closely with the with the HSC the South Southwest hospital group our um, sister hospital up the road um, and everybody to put the best plan in place that we can do.
3: Okay. And tell me about yourself, Margaret. I, I'm told you're, you're wearing your masks now. Are you in full PPE at the moment?
19: No, just masks. We're, we're wearing masks where we can't, any any place where we can't maintain social distancing, um, we're wearing masks.
3: Okay, so you're the director of nursing, Margaret. Does that mean, are you dealing with patients directly or are you overseeing the nurses who do?
19: No, I would oversee um, all of the nurses that that do. Um, I would visit the wards, um, you know, I would visit all the wards every week, um, but it would be my frontline nurses that are providing the direct care to, to patients.
3: Okay, and how are they coping?
19: They're, they're doing okay. I suppose we're very lucky here. We have superb frontline staff and they're exceptionally motivated um, they're, they're prepared for this and we're already treating these patients we're putting in as much staff support for staff as we can but morale is good here but I think that reflects the culture that we have here in the Mercy. People are very committed. We're dealing with very professional resilient um, people here. Um, so you know we're, we're we're trying to keep everybody motivated, and I suppose the most important thing is that we can continue to give the the care mm. we always give here. And um, you know we because of restricted visiting at the moment, we we are we are the families for for the patients because their visitors can't come in to see them. So we're trying to fill that gap as best we can, and going the the extra mile. Um, for that, um, and this is a this is an evolving situation, but we're adapting to
3: it daily. Okay, in terms then, Margaret, of you, you speak about um, the staff, I suppose having to take the place of patients in terms of reiss- or of family in terms of reassuring patients and kind of giving them that extra little bit of emotional support. That's a huge. I suppose, I don't want to use the word burden, but that's a huge extra job for staff who might already be kind of fearful about their own situation and about, I suppose, living in these times as we all are, it's it's a fearful time for people. Um, What kind of things are you hoping to put in place for staff to deal with the emotional impact of all of that?
19: Well, we've put in place um, a number of um, supports around, it's kind of a two-pronged approach, so we have supports around clinical training but we're also looking at supporting staff from their their own well-being and their own their own anxieties and managing that. And um, so, we we I suppose we've got our occupational health, our HR department. We've got a full wraparound for for staff to support them. But I suppose the talking to patients and the dealing with relatives that is actually part of what we do every day. Mm. Um, so we just stepped up into that um, space and we're finding innovative ways of using, you know, using FaceTime and um, we have a number of iPads that have been made available to us on the ward. So we're using, we're using those methods of communication as well to, to do that, that, bridge that gap between patients and their families.
3: Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen, I suppose, a lot of news reports of people in ICU who, obviously, everybody is gowned up, everybody is masked. It must be kind of a surreal working environment now for people.
20: Um, this is Donald don't Corleine know. here. Yeah, I'm a, I'm an intensive care doctor in the Mercy. Yeah, it is, it is very surreal um, dealing with people wearing the full PPE, but I think people are really responding really well. They they understand why we're wearing the PPE and we, we we still speak to them kindly and we say, look we're we're just wearing this to protect all of us, to protect you, to protect us and the the public have, have responded fantastically. You know, even even little children who I've been dealing with, you know, wearing wearing full PPE, they've been fantastically calm about it. They they get it. And and really for, for me the thing that's come out of all of this is that the public are really doing the right thing. The public get what they're supposed to be doing, and really, I can only I can only do a tiny bit. But really, as we are all in this together. And as long as the public stay at home, social distance, wash their hands frequently, we will get through this. We will absolutely get through this. But but it's it's not dependent on me. It's not dependent on all our fantastic frontline staff. It's what the public do will get us through this. It's the public will save us. And that's that's really so important. And we've we've been very fortunate, I think. And, and like we often don't thank them enough, but we've had superb leadership from our from our political class and our our medical leadership class. Colum Henry, who's a Mercy doctor, is one of the national figures involved in, in leading this out. Um, our two kind of local politicians, um, I've been speaking speaking with them. Um, Michal Martin has has played an absolute blinder. Simon Coveney has been absolutely leading from the front. And I, I, I just want to play a huge compliment to our political leadership who have, who have really led like lions. They have absolutely led from the front. They really have put very few feet wrong. They've done everything right. And the public have listened to them. And I, and I think the public get it. The public get it why this is so important. And they are absolutely doing it. But they need to keep on doing it now. We're doing, we're doing, we're doing well. But we can't relax. This is a sneaky, sneaky virus. It sneaks around. You don't know if you have it or not. You can infect people without realising it. You can get infected without realising it. So keep on social distancing. Wash your hands and stay at home, and we will win. We will absolutely win.
3: Okay that's really encouraging words um Dr Donal O'Cronin consultant anesthesiologist that's a difficult word to say but you must have to say it multiple times every day um <laughs> I <do>. in terms <laughs> I of <do>, yeah. <laughs> there I mean that's very encouraging words and we I think there is a sense among people we were looking at the statistics here and we felt that they were Cork I mean there was anticipation that by now the ICUs in Cork might be full and that is not the case is it
20: So we are definitely busy with this COVID nineteen, we are we are definitely busy. I, I, I wouldn't underplay it, but we have had huge support from the Department of Health, the HSE, the South South West Group, and we are ready for this. We are absolutely ready for this. And as the long as long as the public keep doing what they're doing, we will cope. If the public keep getting this right, like they're getting it right so far, we will cope. And and I am not I am not losing sleep about this at night at all because the public are doing the right thing. This is, this is not a, a doctor thing. This is not a nurse thing. This is a thing for, for the public. They are the ones who will fix this. They are the only ones who can save us by their actions and behaviour. So I, 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 have, I am increasingly confident and respect for what the Irish public are doing. By and large, they are getting this absolutely right they realise how serious it is and they're really genuinely playing a blinder and I hope in a few years' time we'll we'll be able to look back and say, "Do you know, we got it right, we we, we get something's wrong, but our our leadership uh, got this right and and we, we got it right as well. Please God, you know. Thanks
3: so much, Dr. Donald O'Cronin and Margaret McIernan from The Mercy. We'll let you get back to your very important work. Thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing those messages because I think that's such encouraging news for people to hear that our, our medical staff know that we are behind them. They know that we are all doing our best. They know that the efforts that you are making are not going unnoticed and they are not in vain. They are working please help them to keep working if you're doing your bit by staying inside and by self isolating and by following all the guidelines that's wonderful if you want to do something else you can of course donate to assist our frontline workers with an internal wellness centre and an external wellness space so staff have somewhere to relax after coming off a very difficult shift or in in their breaks Uh, mental health supports for those staff as well and genius thermometers which give staff a temperature reading in just seconds so you can donate just 19 euro by clicking 96F FM.ie today and making a one off donation of that 19 euro. You can call 1850 50 96 96. If you can't get through there because we are experiencing a high volume, you can text us on 083 3 96 96 96 and you can say please contact me, I wish to donate and we'll call you back. Um, That's, I mean, listening to Margaret and Donald there the passion they have for their work and the passion they have for dealing with patients and it's such a reassurance to know that they still have the time and they still are able to deal with people in a compassionate way, they found technology to help them to do that and now it's just up to us to do our bit to make sure that they don't have to be faced with the kind of decisions that we saw doctors in Italy and in, indeed in New York being faced with where they're having to decide who gets the ventilator and who gets the ICU bed at the moment that's not where we're at, hopefully their work and all of our work as good citizens will mean that they never have to make that decision between somebody living and somebody dying in this pandemic. Um, in that spirit, I suppose, President Higgins has an Easter message for people, uh, which we are now going to um, play. He's been, being played today on all of the local radio stations again, and he's, as he was last week, um, with a very, very important message
12: for the public this Easter. This Easter 2020 is a challenging time for so many. All of our Irish family, and particularly those abroad, are very much in the thoughts of loved ones during these difficult days as we strive together to come to terms with the coronavirus and its consequences. Over the past number of weeks, all of us have awoken abruptly to changes in our way of life. There is an uncertainty, anxiety and fear to be overcome as the coronavirus takes hold in our communities. We've all been asked to take more restrictive measures in order to stop the spread of the virus. Measures that would have been unimaginable just a few weeks ago and which have presented a challenge to our resolve, to our way of life, be it how we work or socialise with others. As the number of coronavirus cases rises and the global death toll accumulates to shocking levels, it would be easy to become overwhelmed. Sabina and I are greatly aware of the pain and suffering so many of you are experiencing in different ways. We send our deepest sympathies to those who have been bereaved in recent days and weeks as a result of the pandemic, those who are ill, anxious and concerned. We know, too, how difficult it is in so many ways for those who would wish to be with loved ones for whom they are concerned, but whose protection requires that they stay at a distance. All of what we're asked to do now is about saving lives, slowing down the spread of the virus and caring in the ways that have been suggested to us by medical advice until a vaccine emerges. May I take this opportunity again as President of Ireland to thank all those who continue to work tirelessly and selflessly to keep communities, wherever they may be, healthy and safe. The many Irish medical staff who are providing the highest standards of care, not only at home but across the globe. To all of you responding to this crisis, including those in retail, pharmaceuticals, other vital sectors, providing essential goods and services, such as maintaining the settings for medical care, Bwikas The Irish community abroad, which extends to some 75 million in its widest definition, is a community united by its roots to Ireland but also by these shared values that our Irishness embodies. Sabine and I would like to convey the sympathy and solidarity of the Irish people at home to our wider global family as we share together in our different places a response to this challenging crisis. A response that I believe will lead us towards a further strengthening of the values of empathy, compassion inclusion and shared humanity, values that have always defined us as a nation and which have been so much in evidence in recent weeks. Irish people have always made an enormous contribution to the nations in which they've settled, be it temporarily or permanently, and you continue to do so at this time of great need. To those of you abroad, may I express again how deeply grateful I am to those of you who are reaching out a hand of friendship and support to your fellow Irish immigrants, in particular to those who are ill, bereaved, or in particular need of assistance at this challenging time. To know of your compassion and practical assistance is of great comfort to their families and loved ones at home. Easter is a time of hope, of rebirth, of new beginnings. That is what is central in the various religious services, the transcendence of suffering. Nature, in its renewal, offers us perennial hope as we deal with these difficult times. Just as the seasons change, this crisis too will pass, but its severity and magnitude are to a large extent in our hands. Coanamid our Mishnach is a cunyol anus g'meimid rhaid Ashari a At Easter, we're asked to muster our courage, Keep faith with our possibilities so that we can be ready for our renewal. In keeping with the Easter message of hope, Irish people are being asked to place a light in their window tomorrow, the Saturday before Easter Sunday, a time so important in the symbolism of our Irish independence. Sabina so and I will light lanterns and place these at the doors in our and symbolising our shared solidarity and offering a beacon of hope In a time of darkness. The days ahead may continue to be difficult, and for some I recognise they are more difficult than others, such as carers. But what a memory it will be, and legacy too, when the virus has passed, to know that we gave of our best, and what a valuable memory it will be. That we continue to save lives that would otherwise have been lost, by cooperating and working with the measures suggested to us for the good of all. As President of Ireland, Maruptran here, I send you Easter greetings wherever you may be and wish you well in your solidarity, vigilance and tenacity during these difficult times when we are tested like few other times in recent memory. Erskar keila In the shadow of each other we live. May the hope and peace of Easter be with you all great
3: words from President Michael D. Higgins there and words of encouragement and words to keep us motivated I suppose a lot of people suggesting as well that uh, Dr. Donal O'Cronian would have a job in motivational speaking if he ever packed in the medical career, Uh, that's from Peter, you're spot on Peter, wasn't he amazing? Um, Really really positive message from him and a very important thing to hear I think, Kay says a big clap to the nurse in the orthopaedic hospital who were doing house calls, she says we'd be lost without them um and Finbar says I feel like I could do anything after listening to that anesthesiologist. what a legend yeah absolutely he was great and another um, fantastic very positive medical frontline worker is now on the line, it's Dr Chris Luke uh, Chris I'm not sure which hospital you're in at the moment are you in the CUH or the Mercy? I'm in the Mercy
21: dear. good morning.
3: You're in the Mercy as well fantastic and of course you have come out of retirement to go and help out on the front lines there, um, you were supposed to be I don't know sitting on a yacht in the med somewhere drinking champagne, uh, no, I'm
21: sorry. Sorry, I'm not not a retired uh, cardiac surgeon.
3: Uh,
21: is that is that who is on That's, the yacht? Yeah, you are on, the, on the, the other end of the scale. <laughs>
3: Fair enough. Um, you'd have to stick with Baltimore or somewhere like that. Yeah. So, um, so tell us. Um, we heard from Doctor O'Croneen there, and from the head of nursing, just how things are going. But what, it, what I suppose what I think people are quite intrigued by is how you get ready for a day of working with COVID patients. Um, like, what can you describe just the process of of donning all of that PPE? What's it actually like?
21: Yeah, it's 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 tricky, uh, Deirdre. I mean, basically, there are, I suppose, three or four types of kit that you have to, to uh, think of wearing when you're, uh, you know, you're trying to contain a contagion like uh, COVID-19. The basic kit would be a mask, uh, an ordinary greenish paper, uh, a surgical mask that wraps around the ear. Then you have an apron. Which goes over your um, your your scrubs, and then of course you wear gloves. Now that would be the basic uh, kit that mm. we would hope people would wear in and around the emergency departments and the you know the, the other clinical areas. Beyond that, then you have what's called you know full PPE, which is personal protective equipment. And that's where you are really trying to protect your mucous membranes. And, you know, people forget that the, 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 the area of access to the virus is, is, the, is the red lining of the eyes, the nose, the, the mouth, and so on. So mm. the skin has evolved over millions of years to to, to repel uh, invaders like viruses and so forth. So it's basically if you touch your eyes, you touch your nose, or you touch your mouth, there, that, that's the, the real danger. Of course, if you inhale the, the aerosols. So basically the PPE is a full a uh, sort of shroud uh, with long sleeves it, it's tied to the back and you have a hopefully long sleeve long uh, long surgical gloves you have a, a basic mask uh, or you have a, a what's called an FFP which is a slightly more sophisticated mask that filters tiny particles of the size of a virus and then in addition to that you have either goggles or, or face visors, again, as I say, to stop the virus getting anywhere near you, the, 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 the red lining of your eyes or your nose or your mouth. So that's PPE, and PP, you know, is, 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 is tricky because it takes about seven or eight minutes to don and seven or eight minutes to doff, uh, and basically you have to have a buddy with you to do that so that, uh, that you're, you're, you're not distracted, because obviously... The the, the baseline is that you're anxious about a patient or you're anxious about an idea or an issue in your head and you're trying to make sure you you follow the correct protocol in terms of the the, the sequence in which you put these things on and you try not to touch your face, your nose as you put them on or off and so on. So you need a friend or a colleague uh, or or, or a buddy to make sure you're, you're going through the right steps both before and after. And I suppose in the third type of of kit would be what's called a hazmat uh, suit, and they're the sort of things that you 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 see almost like space suits mm. with hoods and all sorts, and that would be really for those who are working at the, the highest end of, of of exposure, and they're particularly difficult because they're really exhausting uh, uh, to to wear; they're they're incredibly hot. Uh, and you know you can't have a, a pee or a break or do, or a, anything like that. You, you, people are you know obliged to wear these sometimes for three or four hours you know in the shift, and particularly where there's shortage of the other more routine PPE. So that that's tricky too.
3: Mm, so it's a big endeavour to get in and out of these and, is, and to work and all a whole the time.
21: You're, the... you're trying to, you know, work out what what you need to do in terms of diagnosis and treatment and interventions. So as I say, the, 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 putting the peepee on is a distraction from, you know, the, your your thought processes. So you have to be very, very careful. Okay,
3: and in terms then of since you've gone back, how how long have you been back on the front line?
21: Uh, I think this is my third week or so. Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe this sort of the fourth actual week, but yeah, no, I, 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 I've been back since March at some stage.
3: Okay, and have you seen many COVID patients in that time?
21: No, we've seen, I mean, we've seen dozens, you know, uh, but, but we haven't seen hundreds. So, you know, I think there's, there was 40 or 45 in the, uh, up to a couple of days ago in both hospitals. But what we are hearing now is that a patient who was in the department, say, last week, turn, has turned out to be positive. So that's something that's creeping up on us now, the idea that someone that we, we didn't suspect COVID in because they didn't have the cough, the shortness of breath, the fever or the loss of smell, uh, but they came in with an ankle or, you know, intoxication. It, you know, the, the, the tests that perhaps coming back or we're hearing indirectly that that patient turned out to be positive so that's something which I think is is beginning to, to reinforce our, our, our vigilance and our, and our alertness
3: Okay, so I suppose at this point in time we're aware that there have been serious delays with the tests um, is, is it a case now that you're sort of treating everybody as if they possibly have Yes,
21: and, and we're learning from the, the, our friends and colleagues in New York and New Orleans and Northern Italy and even in the NHS and, you know, there are certain messages they, they, they've been sending us. And, you know, one of them is that there comes a point in the pandemic when everybody has to be assumed to have uh, COVID-19. And I think really we're at that stage now. Um, it it, it kind of doesn't really matter what they're presenting with them. I mean, obviously, if they have a severe pneumonia and respiratory problems uh, and a fever, uh, and they're in the at-risk category, you're, it's very, very likely that they have C-19. Um, and uh, on the other hand, pe- people coming in with other problems, heart or lung or, or, or even uh, abdomen, uh, it, we have to assume to some extent that they have uh, uh, COVID-19 and you have to you know, don the PPE to examine anybody like that. So yes, it's, it's certainly ratcheting up in terms of the demands on, on the staff. And of course, at the same time, the workload is increasing because all the people who stayed out of the hospitals for the last two weeks nationally, I mean, all over, uh, are now beginning to have to drift back because you know that 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 pain in the chest or the pain in the tummy they simply can't wait any longer so I suppose the real challenge now is that where our workload is going back up towards normal very close to normal I think we're about four-fifths three-quarters four-fifths of our normal workload which is considerable Mm. in both departments I mean that's about 400 patients a day you know and and more Uh, and at the same time you know we're having to assume that many of them if not all of them uh, have, have C19 and of course C19 patients themselves are very very uh, complicated you know you need a, you need a whole team to give them oxygen you need a whole team to transfer them to the intensive care unit and and so on so yes it's 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 becoming challenging i must admit
9: Okay,
3: so I think that's a good a good warning to people, Chris, not to become complacent in all these measures, that things I think a lot of people at this point, I saw a really good tweet from somebody saying that, you know, this is the point in the match where a, a team that feels they're ahead kind of t- stops bothering, um, and I think the, that person was saying, you know this is the point in this pandemic where a lot of people are saying, oh well it isn't as bad as they said it was going to be, we're not seeing huge massive numbers of deaths, we can relax a bit, we can't relax, can we?
21: No, absolutely not, and I mean, I have been saying Because you know there was a a, a touch of sort of self-congratulation a week or two ago, Mm. and I was saying, well, it's a bit like being three points up against the All Blacks, or or having had an accidental, you know, own goal against the Germans you know, in yeah. the first 15 minutes. It, you know, there is a surge of, oh, well, we're, we're, we've got this. Uh, but no, there's a long way to go yet. We're up against the toughest opponent we've faced in at least 100 years. Um, and, y- you know, now is exactly not the time to become complacent because I think the complacency really, really is, is, the, is the greatest hazard of all. And now is the time to stay at home uh, and keep up the really, really good work. I mean, we're looking at about a 90% compliance rate amongst the population of Ireland. And, you know, we, we have an opportunity as a small island nation to show uh, that we are one of the best in the world at at reducing the impact uh, of of this virus and of course it's all entirely down to the population because you know we don't have the medications to treat people once they become seriously ill and the only real way to stop the spread of the virus is to stop people you know meeting and you know this is a virus that hops from person to person so we have to I mean I I, I saw this going around Cork a great mantra stay six foot apart or you end up six foot under Mm. and I think that's a very very good mantra Absolutely, Chris. How do the family feel about you having gone back to work? Uh, uh, well, you know, mixed feelings. But I think they're 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 delighted to be rid of me. <laughs> you know. uh, with my my daughter, as you know, Kira, she's a, she's an A and E doctor in the matter in Dublin. Yeah. So there's a pair of us in it, and we're both delighted. I mean, you have to be a slightly excitable personality to to to, to like emergency medicine, which which <laughs> both of us do. And uh, I mean, I'd I'd rather be there than anywhere else, to be honest
3: fair play to keep up the good work and thank you for everything you're doing it's um it's it's a, our medical professions really they've gone above, above and beyond and they continue to do so and the only thing keeping them safe is us so please maintain the guidelines, maintain your distance, keep the hands washed stay out of everybody's way and just do, do what the government are asking us to do because it's for the sake of our emergency workers and our a workers and our doctors and our nurses and all of those frontline legends that we are asked to do all of these things to prevent more people getting sick and prevent them having to make awful life and death decisions. I saw this tweet uh, Professor Mary Horgan from um, the uh, CUH is on the line well, good morning, Mary. Good morning. Mary, I saw this tweet this morning from Dr. Paul Kelly in the Bonds. I don't know if you're on Twitter, but he's um, he's a cancer doctor in the Bonds and he's yes. obviously not working directly with COVID patients. But he said, struggling with the end-of-life conversations behind the sterile wall of PPE, no personal contact, non-verbal communication limited almost to one's eyes, isolating and lonely for patients, against the grain as a doctor. Speaking from my own experience in a cancer clinic and ward as this relates to non-COVID palliative care, patients. So Mary this is this virus whether people have it or not the idea of the virus and the dealing with the virus is infecting every aspect of your work as doctors and of our, I suppose all of our daily lives um, in terms of your work on a day to day basis are you encountering this kind of strangeness?
22: A- absolutely I've been doing infectious diseases as a specialty for 30 years and I've never experienced the um Fear that patients have with this particular infection um, it i suppose in in many respects, firstly, as you said the the doctors and the nurses and the physiotherapists who go in to the patient are all gowned up, so all you can see is, is somebody's eyes from a patient's perse- perspective. And the other thing that, that strikes me that's, that's new, a new experience for me is really the, the consistent fear that all the patients have when they get into hospital and when they're really sick with it, um, when they have the respiratory distress, in other words, difficulty breathing, high fevers and cough, they're really afraid um and for us as as frontline healthcare professionals it's hard not to you know i mean obviously we we're compassionate as as always but not being able to you know, be be uh, seen by the patient. Uh, at that gesture, that comforting that we give to patients, has has been really challenging. So, and, and Dr. Paul Kelly, um, I think, put it very um, nicely in his, in his tweet this morning. Um, so it is it is difficult, and what we do is to support the patient not only with oxygen and all of that but reassure them saying that once they're over it they they will be immune from it but it's trying to get them through that difficult um, time when they're in hospital um to reassure them and give them the best care we possibly can in very difficult situations
3: members of your own team fearful mary about what's ahead of them
22: you know, it, it's striking that I don't think they, they are fearful, but they do protect themselves um, going in. I mean, from my point of view, I can, I will say that, that in my 30 years, it's the one time I could see myself as being a patient in a week or two and being exactly um, the person that I'm currently treating mm-hmm. because that is the risk um, that frontline staff have. And it's not just the doctors and nurses and physiotherapists. It's all of us who work on the front line, whether it's in the hospitals in, um, in or in the community in general practice, um, they're, they're the realities of life that we experience at the moment. And like our patients, we go home um, to families um, and I suppose in many respects, you know, there is that risk of bringing um, an infection home. So we are really careful about protecting ourselves. And I suppose, you know, just to reiterate the the thanks the frontline staff have for the public and, and the people of Cork and the greater Cork area of really following the guidance that uh, the Minister for Health and the government have been have been giving. It really does work and it protects us on the frontline to care for our patients the best way we can in, in a very difficult situation.
3: Mary, stay safe and thank you for all the work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. It's it's such a sobering thing to think of all these people who are going to work every day. You know, most of us going out and about, if we are still having to go out and about for work and things, are aware there are risks in doing that. You know, all of us know going to work or anything, we have to be really careful with the hand washing and the wiping and the not touching our faces and everything. But for people who are going work in hospitals, they know they're dealing with the virus. Like, they know they're looking at and they're looking at what's happening to medical professionals around the world and the difficulties they're facing and... Um, the fact that they are able and that they are willing to keep getting up and getting out there and doing their work and that work is so important. Um, thank you to all of them and just to say thanks to everybody as well who has donated so far today. We have loads of people getting in touch with us asking to how they can donate to the Frontline Legends Appeal. It's 96fm.ie is the website. You can text your details to 083 396 and let us know you'd like to donate. Somebody will ring you back and organise that 19 euro donation for the Frontline Legends. You can also ring us on 8 1850 50, 50 96, 96. and that's the number to call if you want to donate online a couple of messages from different people about things that are going on and thank yous to people as well also want to mention that the Mano Fasa project is open to support women facing domestic violence Monday to Friday 10 to 4 021 421 1757 or email wisewomencork at gmail.com or you can join their live chat on manawfasa.com